This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crage. <laughs> Give me a name. I like him. Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. I like in, him. in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I agree. Live here on the Voice of Wrestling flagship podcast presented by my bookie. I'm Rich Craig, alongside, as always, the king of banter and a man with perfectly honed skills or instincts, whatever the fuck it is, Joe Lanza. Joe, what's up? Perfectly honed skills? <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking of skills. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe a laying pipe, but I mean, <laughs> it's perfectly honed instincts. Instincts, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, today, you <laughs> there was a tweet you sent out earlier today, a reply to somebody when we were discussing the musical, the uh, the much talked about musical, which I believe you had a, a few opinions on in the uh, Thursday Tea Reviews over at uh, patreon.com slash voice of wrestling. Uh, somebody called us virgins, and you said, I forget exactly what it was, but I think you said, I, I've laid, I, I've boned more, I've boned enough people to make porn stars jealous, including porn stars. Like, what What was the tweet? It was bizarre, beyond That's belief. But yeah, well, what did you say exactly? Because I, I, I had to get a chuckle while I was at work, just reading, knowing your tone and knowing that, uh, on the other line, the king of banter, the Kenta Kobashi of sex back there talking about. Uh, well, I mean, like anyone in our position, every now and then we get the old "you're a virgin." To yes, me. yeah. You know, uh, that's one of the the, the frequent uh, put downs that people will give you if right. you're if you uh, you know in the wrestling game. But I'm sure the guy on the other end of that is oh, it's just fucking absolutely fucking destroying on the other end. Yeah, for sure. It's always the best part about those like all right, virgins is like more times than not, it's people like defending WWE, and it's like yeah, because like yeah, like WWE wrestling fans are like. The hottest, like you know, the, like you are the one sitting home on Friday watching fucking SmackDown, standing for Sasha Banks. But no, I believe that like the second SmackDown's done, you're just laying a fucking just unbelievable amounts of sex having you know after SmackDown on Friday, of course, you know. I'm no, busy, I'm, I'm busy until ten, and then I can come over and and and, and you know. We can yeah, do I'm sure a guy with Otis in his avatar. <laughs> right. Just- is just slaying the hottest puss. I mean, let's be honest. Um, no, so the guy did a virgin joke. What I said, Rich, um, was after I made my retort to the content of his tweet, I said, also, buddy, I've had enough sex to terrify a porn star, <laughs> sometimes with porn stars. So that's what I said. To the man. Now, is that is that second part true? Yes. Okay. I, I, you've told the story one time where you almost got caught up in like filming a, a porn, isn't that correct? Let's not get into that. I can't talk about okay, that. Okay, that's fine. I, I, <laughs> let's You're stay legally illegally unable to talk about that anymore. So, listen, that's that's 2014 content. Um, that's all I'm going to say about Was that. that the one, is that the one that we're alluding to here, or is this, uh, is there another instance where you've you've been involved with a? Uh... Listen, <laughs> just say okay. I'm not gonna sit here. That's fair. That's fair. And, and listen, yeah, I didn't even say anything yet. How you know it's fair? 
Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I've banged like a bell of danger, okay? But have I performed coitus with women who have also performed, um, you know, on uh, in pornographic films? When I you say coitus, I never want to have sex again. You know that, right? It's, well, like... it's, it's hour one, so you got to use. Coitus. You do have to, yeah. We have the advertisers; they're yeah. they're listening. You know, they they, they you know, is there? I always think not long ago. Um, we got an email from, from, you know, somebody who, one of our sponsors or one of the people, you know, through one of our sponsors saying that they couldn't find our ad that, Hey, you know, I listened to the most recent episode and I couldn't find the ad. And I'm just thinking, Oh my God, I hope that you're just scroll, scroll, scroll. And if you don't hear the ad, you assume it's not happening. Cause I really would hate to have, you know, somebody at insert, you know, brand X sitting down and saying, all right, let's see when our ad comes up and having to hear you say coitus and talk about performing coitus. On someone in the in the porn industry, um, I just hey, they stick with us, you know. If they sell, if we sell, you know, we sell razors, we sell my bookies. They don't, they don't care. So listen, you know, it's big business. You've performed quite this many times. You know all about it. <laughs> I have not. I'm actually a virgin. So oh, you are. A virgin. Yeah, that guy is correct. Yeah, no, I'm I'm waiting. So yeah, yeah. the guy <laughs> knee strike for life or whatever is correct. You are in fact a virgin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's having sex right now. I mean, that's obvious. I mean, this is a man who just – he's constantly having sex. In between calling other people virgins on Twitter, <laughs> right. this man is is in a constant state of coitus. So uh, who am I to question um, whatever that guy's name was who called us a virgin? But um, why are you dragging hour three content? I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why. Well, actually – You did this. I, I did do this. Do this. This is my fault. But no, we have uh, – we, we got a lot we're going to get to uh, today. We got G1 Climax. Uh, we're going to – Finish that out. Talk about that. Talk about Kotobushi. Shocking, yeah. You know, I don't know the world. I'd say in, in a lot of ways, shocking us. I think shocking me uh, a little bit as well in winning the G1 climax. We'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about you know how um, even our pick'em predictions, like no, like very few people had Kotobushi uh, moving on. So that's a pretty interesting story there. Where he goes from there, all the other stuff. Uh, power struggle. Some other news in uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, we move. We'll move over to uh, Impact Wrestling as well. Bond for Glory this weekend, this Saturday, uh, and then believe it or not, Joe. I know you. I know you can't wait, and we're going to get to it, but we probably will wait until hour three. World Wrestling Entertainment's Hell in a Cell 2020 streaming live on the award-winning WWE Network this weekend. So, uh, we move, we'll move over to uh, Impact Wrestling. As well. Apologies. Jeez. I don't know what happened. I know what happened. You listen to the YouTube video so you can <laughs> shit talk people I, in the chat room. So. I opened up the chat. In the <laughs> yes, exactly. I know what you did. Don't say, I don't know what happened. I know what happened. You know what happened. Don't, don't lie. This happens like every other week. Yeah, don't I know. Know. Oh, I don't know how that happened. Yeah. I, well. Oh, yeah. Caught me off guard. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no. Listen, Rich, unlike you, I follow the product. Okay. So I know there's a WWE <laughs> pay-per-view this weekend. Okay, pal. Um, I cannot I know wait to get blood. your extensive breakdown of the Hell in a Cell I Quit match that's coming up. So yeah, that's right. My Mondays and we- my Mondays and um, Friday. Fridays, right? <laughs> Wednesdays as well are spent following the product, sir. So listen, you may play these games where I oh I had no idea there was a WWE pay per view. I know, and I'm prepared now. I had no idea there was an impact pay-per-view because <laughs> <laughs> I have not watched the product. So hopefully you have, and you can carry that segment. Um, I did, however, watch victory road. We talked about that last week. Was it called victory road? It was called victory road. Yes. Yes, it was. 
Um, so I'm up to date to Victory Road. Um, have you watched the latest Impact? I have. Rich? Yeah, I watched the last two Impacts. Actually, I kind of not not fully well, binged Impact, but I watched the last two. So I'm 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 well caught. Uh, you're on, on Impact, intimately so. familiar with the yes. build. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Some good, the good, the bad, the the Impact. You know. So that's where I take control of the show and and throw things at you so that you can talk at length. Like we got to, you know, th- that's th- we're taking people behind the curtain again. Normally we do this off the air, but you'll be like, ah, Joe, I didn't watch any of this fucking all Japan show. And I'll be like, no problem. You just walk through the card and I'll talk you through it. Or I'll say, Rich, I have no clue what's going on with impact. And you'll go, no problem. And then I'll, I'll walk you. See, now I will walk you through the impact preview. That's how we'll handle that. And see, if we didn't have this little conversation, nobody ever would have been none the wiser. I hear I thought you were watching Impact every single week. We get the, we get the, the shows you know, in our was. emails. I mean, you were, you were. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Well, the G1 happened, and you decided to watch happened. every other wrestling event that could possibly have taken place uh, I, over the last month. So, yeah, Impact, unfortunately, fell oh. by the wayside, which is fair. I was up to date all the way to Victory Road. And then since Victory Road, I just – see, that's post – see, what happened was it wasn't even the G1. It was post G one where I said I'm not fucking watching anything. Just burn out from everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The last thing you want to do is pop open, you know, Access TV or, or you know, a link and and sit down and watch Impact Wrestling after watching you know 80 hours of wrestling every week over the last two weeks. Yeah, it, 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 you're you're fair. You're definitely fair in doing that. So I tagged out. I made the hot tag to Craig, and he has watched Impact since Victory Road. Yes. So. We're all covered here. We are. We are. But uh, the way we're going to start the show is actually, you know, speaking of other tweets uh, that you did, you had one uh, the other day. Uh, you tweeted out it, kind of out of nowhere. I don't know. I, I actually am kind of curious where you got this idea uh, to, to, to ask this question. And there were some really cool answers. And I thought it'd be a pretty cool discussion as well. Uh, you asked people on Twitter uh, at Voices Wrestling, by the way, if you want to follow. But you should probably just delete the app and throw your phone in, in, in the river or water. Whatever the nearest body of water you have. Creek, lit, river, Inlet, Bay, you know, whatever. Just throw your phone in there so you don't ever, ever have to go on Twitter ever again. Uh, but if you are on there, if you haven't thrown your phone in, in, in a body of water, at Voices Wrestling, uh, so you can follow us. Uh, but you ask people, what's the most famous wrestling match you've never seen? And it was kind of a question that came out of nowhere, and there were some really fun answers, some really interesting answers. Uh, but maybe I'll start out, where did you get this idea uh, to, to ask this question? All right, so... I went into New Japan World, into their archives, which I haven't done literally in years, and I noticed they've added a lot of stuff. Now, yeah. I don't want to mislead. I don't want to mislead people because, again, I haven't been in those archives for years. So, from the last time I've been in there, there's a lot of stuff that's been added. I don't know, like, if you're a frequenter of the New Japan World app, you might be like, "Joe, what the fuck are you talking about? They haven't added anything in six months." But to me, they've added a lot of stuff. So. The last couple days, I've been watching a lot of random stuff on New Japan World instead of Impact, obviously. And I've been looking for matches that are famous matches that, for whatever reason, I've never watched. It was either before I got into tape trading or matches that I just never, you know, saw once I got into tape. Because, you know, you can't, you got to pick your spots in the tape trading days. And then maybe you just never went back and, Got a chance to see. So it made me think. I was like, I wonder what classic matches other people will say that they have never watched. You know, so that's why I put the question out there. And we got a pretty wild – you know, some of the answers we got were just 
fucking wild. I, <laughs> I know. Mean, yeah, that, that's kind of what I wanted. To, I mean, so it, it's a really cool question. It, it sort of made me think. And I think the the one that I initially came up with uh, is I'm kind of really thinking. Because there's some people that are like, no, no, I can't think of anything. And it's like, oh, shut up. Yes, you can. Like, There's, yeah, there's yeah. something that you have. And and the one that I brought up and I, I was thinking about it and I was like, damn, I don't actually think of is, is the AJ Styles Samoa Joe Christopher Daniels three way from, I, I believe, Unbreakable uh, 2005 is like the famous one. Uh, that those guys had, and it's like this, you know, historic three-way match. It's this like pinnacle for for that style of wrestling, and it's been you know bandied about for years as like a influential thing. And I'm like, dude, I don't know if I've ever actually watched all of it. Like, I feel like I've always seen it, and I kind of always tell myself, you know, how you do the opposite thing, where like you're like, oh, I've never seen this before, and then five minutes in, you go, oh shit, I've seen this before. I I definitely tell myself that I've watched that match before, but I really deep down, I'm like. I don't even know who wins. Like, I don't know anything about that match. And I don't know why. Like, it's it's very easy to find. It's uploaded by Impact. Like, it can be found very easily. I can click and watch it. It's like a 30-minute match, if that. I think it's 25, somewhere around there. Like, it's not a daunting task. It's not like saying, hey, have you ever watched this hour match? Have you ever watched the 90-minute? Because, like, I have also haven't watched, like, you know, those 90-minute, like, Chris Hero. Because I'm just like, dude, I'm not going through 90 minutes. I'm not going to watch a 90-minute match. Like, I know it's probably good. I know they're they're interesting. But, like, I'm just kind of bored. Like, I watched, you know, I've seen the Samoa with Joe CM Punk ones or whatever, but yeah, most really, really, really long matches, I'm, I'm just not that into, so yeah, it, like, this one's not daunting, there's no reason for me not to have watched this match, but for whatever reason, I just never watched it, it, it it's, that's the first one that came to my mind, and, and and really, as I'm thinking of matches that, like, I, off the top of my head, that, that I've never seen that, that are, 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 I guess, you know, famous or, or whatever, I guess it, a lot of it would depend on what you consider, like, top tier impact matches are, are those how many of those are considered famous like at the top of your head what would you say are like the famous tna matches because i probably haven't seen enough of those tna is kind of a weird spot for me especially like the early years of tna up until like you know we started doing the show once we started doing the show now i've seen pretty much every big impact match every big you know pay-per-view main event or whatever but you know from like 2004 or 2003 2004 until you know 2010 i really only kind of Saw a few matches here and there, so whatever you would consider like a famous match in that era is probably one that I haven't seen. I, I watched Impact every single week. I watch, you know, the, the the TV show, but the pay per views I never got. So like a lot of those are 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 still you know kind of blind spots. And actually earlier today I watched like the Genesis 2006 Samoa Joe Kurt Angle match, which I don't believe I had ever seen before either, and it fucking rocked. And I'm really glad I watched it, but uh, that was another blind spot. Uh, for me as well. So yeah, I don't know where where do you consider like Impact's top top matches? Because that's that's probably my list, honestly. I was going to say the Samoa Joe Kurt Angle matches and the three way that you haven't seen for sure. So um, those are probably what I would consider the most famous and or legendary TNA matches. Um, The Jarrett matches are all walking brawls. Yeah. Yeah. I've really no desire to go back and see any of those, to be honest, into the crowd. Um, you know, there's some there's some X division stuff um, that I think would honestly rank higher than a lot of the heavyweight title stuff. Yeah, I've seen like the uh, whatever match you look Skipper does. You know, the 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 cage walk. I watched that pretty recently, so that one. Um, yeah, I've seen. I've seen a few. There was like the uh, beer money versus um, I forget who it was in a cage, and it's like a bloody brawl or whatever. I've seen that one pretty recently. The first as well. Ultimate X, like is yeah, like, right, right, stuff right, like that. Um, but yeah, I think if you're talking about the the truly elite essential TNA stuff, it'd be the Angle Joe match, especially the first one, and and that three way. 
So I think you knocked those two off of your checklist. Yes, yeah, I got I got one, and I'll, um, I'm going to watch the throughway in the next few days because. Um, well, a lot of people were like you because you're like that match isn't even daunting. A lot of times we were getting responses that were like, "Oh, I never saw Savage Steamboat." Yeah, can, can like, we talk? Some of these responses, man, were like very disheartening from, from people that follow us that I assume are, are big time wrestling fans. Like these were like a lot of the answers we were getting. And I don't mean to like disparage anybody and say like you're oh like what are you doing like but like some of these are like day one hardcore wrestling fan stuff you know what I mean like Savage Steamboat what well, well, that, well that's kind of well here's the thing though that's kind of the point of the question like the the question is meant to be you have an embarrassing thing to reveal here because that's why I immediately followed up the question with okay here's mine. I've seen Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock wrestle each other once. And it's like, well, how's that even possible? Right. That you've seen one. They've had three WrestleMania matches. You know? So it's that was kind of like to soften the responses and get people to open up. Like, look, even me, I have this very embarrassing answer. You know, it's because I you, – and you know why. I was checked out during the Attitude Era, didn't like it, followed wrestling from afar – uh, and just I wasn't into it. I didn't watch a lot of those WrestleManias. I didn't watch. I didn't watch that Houston WrestleMania until like three years ago. Yeah, I think I made you watch it because <laughs> you were like ah, and I was like Joe, it's a really good show. You should go it's, watch it, and it's an incredible think show. That's it's... crazy. Well, you, that's that's my point. My point is there's people screaming at their radio now the same way that we're screaming at. How can you not have watched Savage Steamboat? But my whole point is it's like 17 minutes long. Just go fucking watch it now. You know, and that was also kind of the point of the question. Like after a bunch of people answered, I was like, okay, most of these matches are like 20 minutes or less. Everyone go watch them. Now. Yes. Like you're, you're just procrastinating. Like you can go knock these matches off of your checklist now. But some of the answers were truly baffling. Like Hogan Andre at WrestleMania three. Right, right. Like, come on. Again, <laughs> it's like 12 minutes. What are you doing? The, the worst one, you know, honestly, the worst. I mean, there, there was one that we'll I talk about here in a bit. Say. I'm going to let you have it. It's why I haven't brought this one up. No, I no, I, it might not be the one you're thinking of. Oh, it is. Is Go it? The, is it the Hogan Goldberg one? No, that one's bad too. That, I was like, was... dude, that's like eight minutes. <laughs> like, it's the yeah. quick. It's like I don't even know if it's eight minutes. It might be six minutes. It's like, dude, what? It's twenty twenty. Like, look it up on YouTube. Literally, make whatever drink you're drink, whatever food you're eating. Just type it in. You'll be. You won't even be done eating whatever you're eating right now by the time it's done. Like, dude, it's six minutes long. <laughs> like, it comes out. Goldberg comes out. They jockey for position for a little bit. He throws a fucking spear. He throws a jackhammer. People go nuts, and it's over. Like, what? <laughs> you not watch that ever yeah yeah it's like and then there's some people who are like i've never seen an okada omega match and that i get because if you don't like that style and you don't like new japan one of them is like 90 is like 105 minutes long right. oh for sure yeah no no, no absolutely like okay but those are good because those are very famous matches obviously and those are that's a good answer like I expected the answers to be matches where you're going, how the fuck did you never watch that? Because there's people who would think, Joe, how the fuck if you not watch Rock and Stone Cold at WrestleMania? I don't even know what WrestleMania is. What What are the three WrestleMania? Uh, 16, 15, yeah, 15, no, it's 15, 17, and then uh, 19. Right. right. And I think I've seen one. I've seen the one. Um, 17 is the one you saw. Yes. Because I you, made you watch it two years ago. Yeah. And <laughs> it's like I just never had interest. Now, and here's the other thing with the Attitude Era. 
I watched sporadically. Happened to be at someone's house and there's a pay-per-view on. I like wrestling, I'll watch. But I never went out of my way to watch WWF during the Attitude Era. And then once I got back into WWE, I really didn't make much of an effort to go back and watch all the stuff I missed. That's why I didn't see a lot of those matches. You made me watch that other really good pay-per-view from that era one time too. What yeah, was fully, it? Fully loaded in 2000. Fully thing. loaded with the Rikishi dive off the cage yeah. and all mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Dean Malenko versus Scotty Tuhati. Well, no, that's actually uh, Backlash 2000, the Dean Malenko, Scotty Tuhati. Sorry to... Uh, well, you made me watch that too. You made I me did. watch a lot of Attitude I, I, Era I, I, A few. Like, I, I gave you all the good Attitude Era matches and said, don't watch the rest. There's another three-year period that you do not need to watch. No, that Fully Loaded is uh, uh, Benoit versus Rock and then uh, 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 Jericho versus Triple H in like a last-man standing match. So, so there's a lot of good stuff on that Fully Loaded show. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the thing about a lot of the big, especially the main events in the Attitude Era, and why I haven't really been super eager to go back and watch. Now, eventually I'll watch all this stuff. But it's like why I haven't been super eager is especially the main events. Rich, they're all outside the ring brawls. They're all with, the same. And that's why I would never – like I can't, honestly can't recommend many more of them to you. Because it's bell rings. A few moves happen in the ring. Then they go to the outside. They brawl all over the place. With you know. super molten hot crowds. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And everyone's going absolutely fucking crazy yeah. the entire time. So it's, it's like, you know, fun to watch, but not really like – it was fun to watch at the time, but it's like hard to, you know, go back and sit down and say, all right, I'm going to watch, you know, the main event to, you, you know, this, ra- you know, this random Attitude Era show. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I get it. Not a lot of them are very good or worth yeah, the time. Yeah, and, so. and it's not my style, obviously, of what I like. So it's harder for me to, to sit down and say, all right, I'm going to watch this fucking whoever the fuck. Um, even the era right after, like when Triple H had his big year and all that. I mean, I'm, I, that's kind of a blind spot for me too. What was that 2002? He had his big year. Uh, so he had his initial big year was like 2000, uh, but then yeah. yeah, then then it went away, and then like you know he had the invasion, and then yeah, 2002 was when he was really just on a warpath. 2002 and 2003, yeah, was just like peak Triple H warpath where he just never lost, beat everybody, had his. That's when he was doing his like Harley race thing, where he wanted to go out yeah. there and have 45 minute main events. And it's like oh god, <laughs> right? So I know that like. There's a lot of famous matches from that five-year period or whatever that I haven't seen. So I was curious to see other people. Now, we don't – sometimes we take people's ages for granted. um, But I was still – despite all of that, I was still, like, shocked at some of the answers. We had the one guy, and I thought this is what you were going to bring up. Yeah, I know the one. Yeah, go ahead. He said he's never seen a single Bret Hart match. A, A Bret Hart match. Like any Bret Hart match. <laughs> and again, these are like listeners and followers. And you take for granted that a lot of people who listen to us maybe didn't start watching wrestling until 2013 or something. Right, right, right. And it's like, I think, you know, and it was kind of eye opening in a lot of ways because I'm somebody, and I know you are as well. And I think, you know, probably a good majority of our listeners are, are this way as well. But like, when I got into wrestling, like, I got into, re- you know what I mean? Like, I was going and renting every tape and watching everything I could watch and, and, fi- and I still do, like, still to this day. Like, yeah, yeah. you had a moment of downtime. So you decided, ah, you know what? I'm going to watch some 1986 new Japan for wrestling. Like, you know, you didn't read a book. You didn't go watch a movie. You said, "Ah, I'm going to go watch Japanese wrestling that I've never seen before. And like, that's how I am too. Like my moments of downtime are, ah, fuck it. Let me go see something I've never seen before. And I've always been that way too. I've always wanted to explore and watch and, and, and whether it's the history or something I've never seen before. I that's always the way I strive, uh, you know, for things I get really into. I just want to like 
watch as much as I can, watch the history, watch, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. And I think, yeah, you and I are both that way, but I think we maybe take for granted that, that other people are not, that this guy maybe started watching wrestling two years ago and, and, and has no interest in seeing Brett, the Hitman Hart wrestle. And it's like, to me, it's just like, it's mind boggling. Cause the second I got into wrestling, I just, I rented every tape I could possibly rent. And I watched, you know, pretty much to this point, I've probably seen every WWE pay-per-view main event ever. Like legitimately every single one I've probably seen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so some of the answers, I mean, and, and what were what were some of the other matches that were coming up a ton? A lot of the because... ones that I was just like, guys, you got to stop and, and go. Brett Owen at WrestleMania was one that I saw a lot. And I'm like, dude, no, like, stop that. Go change that right now. Like that match is incredible. Like what a great match. Like you can't you can't listen to the show unless you've watched that match. Like I, I, I seriously, it's it's. It it boggled my mind uh, that one in particular, and, and yeah, Savage Steamboat, uh, Hogan Andre, because these are ones that I feel like are just like day one things. Like you, you know, in the history of, of WWE, these are matches that they put on a pedestal that they promote a ton. It's not like I'm telling you some some deep cut you know Memphis TV match or whatever. It's like fucking WrestleMania three, <laughs> you know, it's the main event of WrestleMania three. Hogan Andre, like you know, how do you how have you never seen that? And 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 Savage Steamboat, and and to my extent, yeah, Brett Owen was the one that I was just like. Just couldn't believe. I was just shocked at how many people said that match too. Yeah, yeah. Some of it's an age thing. Sure. And maybe they do have – now remember, you're also getting a very small sample size from these people. They're telling you the most famous match they can think of that they haven't seen. That doesn't mean that they haven't – that they're not well-versed in – that. we're assuming that means they're not well-versed in the history of wrestling. If if someone else posed the question – and my answer was Rock versus Stone Cold from WrestleMania, whatever. They might assume that I'm not well-versed in the history of wrestling. Sure. When clearly I am. So that might be the same for, for a lot of these people, but this just happens to be their one egregious high spot, uh, a blind spot. So it, it may not be fair just to be like, wow, this person's – they're just – they don't have – they lack the curiosity that I – so that might be the case too. But it's like the guy that said he never saw a Bret Hart match. That I don't even know how that's possible. Like, how do you not see one by accident? Like, if you're a big enough fan to follow us and listen to us, and presumably have the network, you would think you'd see a Bret Hart match just <laughs> by happenstance. Right. Like, I, I, I'm so blown away by that. Like, maybe even a few years ago when he was just out there with his gray hair, not taking bumps, wearing his jorts. I mean, geez, um, that wasn't that long ago. What was that like? Two thousand twelve or something? That, yeah, Maybe. somewhere around there. I think 2011, 2012, somewhere in that range. Yeah, he was well because he was in the it was in the SummerSlam main event in twenty ten. I want to say so. Yeah, no, very recent. Yeah, but um, it is interesting because it's just something I've been thinking about, and I've been I'm always trying to fill in, you know, my personal blanks. I went on a giant binge watching Antonio Inoki matches because. Anoki's a wrestler that I've never kind of – I never got Anoki in real time um, and never got him when I went back to watch some of his older stuff once I became a fan. And I was like, you know, taste change. Your taste is constantly evolving and changing, right? I think even people who have listened to us for eight years, our taste has probably oh, changed for sure. and evolved. No, mine has definitely changed. Over the years. I think our tastes are always evolving as fans uh, as time moves along. And I and – I was like, you know, I haven't really watched the Noki for a long time. So what I set out to do was I went back. I said, I'm going to watch every 
1980s Anoki match that I've never seen. And I'm just going to go through New Japan World and watch them all. And I watched about 15 or 20 of them in a three-day period. And the conclusion I came to is I don't think Antonio Anoki has ever had a great match in his life. I mean, I, I just, <laughs> the guy just does not work for me. Did, did I, you end and, up watching the one that I recommended, the, uh, the, the Tenru match from 94? I didn't. I didn't get to that because I was watching in the 80s. I'm okay. Oh, that's right. That's right. First. You said 80s. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. That's fair. So I went all the way back to 1980 and just worked my way through. And the first two matches I watched were the two Stan Hansen matches from 1980. I'm like, it's Stan Hansen. How can I yeah, go Yeah. It's not really, though. <laughs> I mean, it is, but it's it's not. And not only do they stink, but at, once I started watching them, I realized that I had seen them. <laughs> all the worst. Yeah. <laughs> that's the other problem I have is my memory isn't like super great my like everyone's memory works in different ways like you could ask like one person can run off the whole card of like the 1994 spring stampede i can't tell you what was on last month's wwe pay-per-view but if i look at the card i can tell you i remember everything about the matches i just have to see it do do you know what i mean like sure i'm not someone who can tell you what the main event was at hardcore heaven 95 but if you tell me what it was, I can run down the match for you. So because my memory works in that way, sometimes – a lot of times I think I didn't – haven't seen a match. And then I'm three minutes into it and I'm like, I fucking watched this. I've seen this match. I remember everything about this match. I just don't remember actually watching the match. So a lot of these Anoki matches I thought were going to be fresh and exposing me to something different. And they, they were matches I already saw. The thing about Anoki – is he has like this incredible charisma. Like the, he has more charisma than anyone that maybe maybe the maybe just with the exception of The Rock. Right. Or Hogan. He he got a crowd to, to I mean crowds are jumping up and down and crying as he says one, two, three in Japanese. You know what I mean? Like that he ends his match by saying one, two, three, and like the twenty thousand people lose their goddamn minds just by him lifting his hands up and saying one, two, three. That's all it takes. I mean, outside of The Rock and Hogan, I don't think I put anyone else on his level in terms of charisma. And, But the thing about him is he has all that great charisma, molten crowds for all of his matches. I mean, the likes of which you don't get even non-pandemic these days. Like, just molten. You know what I mean, because oh, you yeah. watch yeah, it's stuff. But then the matches, you're just, <laughs> yeah. God, they're just there. It's like, a lot of times they have great finishes. Right? Like really exciting finishes. But the 12 minutes in between, it's always the same. It's always just dull as dirt. Like, and look, I, look, and I don't think uh, this is some weird opinion. Anoki is not a critically acclaimed wrestler. I think everyone would agree on yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know who would make that argument. It'd be kind of a bad faith argument. I don't even think Anoki would say that he's a top tier worker, but, you know, well, like, maybe he I don't would. Think, but. I don't think he's a bad wrestler. I don't think he's like oh, man, this was just a guy gifted with charisma who was terrible. But he never wrestled an exciting style, and maybe that's because he didn't have to. I don't think he was coasting intentionally because he knew he had charisma. I also think he just really preferred that super realistic style, and he wasn't going to be a big high spot guy, a flashy high spot guy. But, you know, I watched through, and, and, you know, you talk about that match from 94. People told me a few others, but... Basically, everyone I asked was like, yeah, if you're talking about great matches from Anoki, you're really like, there's few and far between, if any, you know, but that was kind of the little project I took on. 
is kind of reinvestigating Inoki. You know, and I got to like 1987. I'll tell you one match that everyone should go watch. And I know I already told you, but we're talking to thousands now. Well, we're live, so we're talking to like 40 people. But eventually we'll be talking to thousands. Um, the, the, I found a tag match from Cork and Hall. It was Anoki and Kevin Von Erich against Kimura and Muto. And it looked real interesting, so I watched it. And Rich, this match fucking rules. Yeah, it's on my list. I have, it written, I have it written down. There's a piece of paper right next to me right now that has that match written down. So the second I get some free time tomorrow morning, later today or whatever, I'm watching that match for sure. It's on New Japan World. And it's one of the best Anoki matches I've ever seen, but not so much because of Anoki. Again, like he's teaming with Kevin Von Erich. And this is the ultimate, like Kevin Von Erich is just such a stubborn dumb jock in this match like okay so kevin von eric starts the match with muto and and this is 1986 so muto's a kid yeah he's he's super young at that point still is he's is he is, still officially young lion at the point or, or no no this was the stage where anoki was doing everything in his power to get muto over he teamed with him um as a as an impromptu partner and sort of that new versus now feud a couple months or later I oh think. that's yeah yeah okay and this was when Anoki was really, and that's you know, this could be a whole nother topic for a whole nother show. But the way that Anoki really worked so hard to groom Muto and get him over would really make a great like three hour show. But in this particular instance, they're on opposite sides, and like a lot of these tags, the idea was for Kevin Von Erich and Muto to start the match to kind of build anticipation for Anoki and Kimura getting in the ring. You know what I mean? It's For like the a big standard. Guys. Yeah, yeah. You guys do some fun little moves, do your shit, get it out of here, and then tag those stars in so we can do our thing. Right, and then get the big pop when they when you both make the tag. Wrestle, chain wrestle for a couple minutes and <laughs> right. tag us in. But Kevin, you have to understand, Ke- this is 1986 Kevin Von Erich. He's like where he comes from. He's the fucking, he's the shit, right? He doesn't see himself as the scrub who starts the match to warm things up for the real star. In his mind, he's the real star, right? So he eats up Muto, which is to be expected, because Muto's a kid, right? So he eats him up, and you know Kevin Von Erich. He's stiffing the fuck out of him. <laughs> right, right. He's not selling shit. Yeah, whether intentional or not intentional, yeah. That, that... Muto tags out. Kimura comes in. He Irish whips Kevin Von Erich into his corner, because the idea is it's that spot you've seen a million times. Von Erich takes the bump into the turnbuckle, and then Anoki sticks out the arm, and he, they, they milk it for drama, and he tags Anoki, and now the two stars are in the ring. You're following me here. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, of course. But here's what happens, Rich. <laughs> Kimura whips Kevin Von Erich. He takes the most unnatural angle off of this Irish whip you could ever think of and decides to bounce off the ropes instead. Oh, no. And then, Uh-oh. And then... And then he throws this wild-ass dropkick at Kimura. And Kimura dives out of the way and is like, what? You can tell. He's like, what the fuck, dude? He's like, what is this shit? Right? So Von Erich pops to his feet and puts the fists up. Like, come on. (laughs) He doesn't understand that it's his role just to fucking tag out at this point. So he, like, backs into his corner. And then Anoki 
slaps him on the back as hard as he can to make the quote-unquote tag. <laughs> right? Because this is Anoki. Yeah, he saved his life, by the way. Anoki saved his life there because Kimura would have killed that guy if he had another few minutes with him from what the way it sounds and, and, and the way I know Kengo Kimura acts. So, the, so Anoki is like, motherfucker. The way he made that tag was like, bitch, know your role. Kevin Von Erich, rest, this was Cork and Hall, and Kevin Von Erich was wrestling this match like it was the Sportatorium. Like he was not interested in selling or being second fiddle, even for Antonio motherfucking Anoki in Tokyo. So Anoki tags in, and then eventually Von Erich and Muto get back in, and he bloodies Muto up with the claw. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. And, and the claw is over in Cork. So they're oohing and on, and Muto's bleeding like a stuck pig, and Von Erich's wrenching in that claw, and he's clawing him, and he's bleeding, and I'm like, this match fucking rules, right? So then, uh, eventually, and now this is all going to make sense why Von Erich was wrestling and acting the way he was, right? So Muto wins the match with a schoolboy. So Von Erich knew he was doing the job. He wasn't going to sell for anybody. He wasn't going to get upstage. He's like, fuck this. I got to do the job. I'm not selling for this kid, right? So then it all really made it made even more sense by the end of the match. So he he gets schoolboyed and he loses, and he puts the claw back on, and this wild brawl breaks out. The post match is almost as long as the match itself. Anoki's trying to get it. Muto Kimura's trying to play peacemaker. Kevin Von Erich's running around just stiffing everybody, and I mean stiffing them, just laying in with these with these forearms to the back and just kicking everybody's ass. Rich just fucking ruled. Sounds it awesome. Was, yeah, it sounds right. It was it sure. was dumb jock wrestling to the tilt with like total nineteen eighties egos getting in the way, right? It, it's like this is one of the biggest stars in the world, and he was booked and put in a position to be a second fiddle, and he wasn't fucking having it either because a he didn't understand, or b because he did understand and he was annoyed. He just didn't want to. Yeah. <laughs> Which is another class. I mean, that, that is, that is definitely of a bygone era now where, where, you know, I was thinking about this the other day as, as, as you know, we we're kind of discussing, you know, or, or, or thinking about, you know, the differences in, in, in processing today and in the, the past and all that sort of stuff. And I'm just thinking like, man, like who puts up a fight about anything now? You, you know, who, who is backstage at, at any of these companies and they get a piece of paper and they go, nah, not going to work for me, pal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's nobody, right? Like nobody does that. Like Daniel Bryan, Daniel Bryan, we know that he does that. We know Daniel Bryan Daniel goes, Bryan "This is shit. I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna do my own thing." And they just go, "Okay, yeah, fine, whatever." And they trust that. But like, who's the like? Not that I really want like a locker room full of that because then you end up with like you know 99 WCW or you know 2000 WCW, which is an absolute disaster. But like, who in wrestling today, off the top of your head, other than Daniel Bryan, is that guy who crumples off the piece of paper and goes, "Nah." <laughs> that's not going to work. Let's let's go back to the drawing board. Everybody just does what they're told and, you know, gets through. And, you know, everybody at the Indies, yeah, I don't care. I'll lose. Or, yeah, we'll do this or we'll do that. Like, I, I'm not saying the whole co- business needs to be a bunch of assholes again, but it might be good if a few people say, you know what? Nah, I don't know. Uh, like, a little, if we all had a little Kevin Von Erich in us where we said, ah, you know what? Nah, I'm not going to do that. Fuck you. I'm going to do what you I want to do. And, and, and you can adjust if you want. If you want to book me, this is what it's going to take. Like, uh, you know, I wouldn't mind a little bit of that. We don't hear the stories, but you know, I don't. I don't. It probably doesn't happen as much as it did in the eighties and nineties. There are definitely Japanese wrestlers who won't do jobs. Like we know Hideki Suzuki won't do jobs, right? But but I figure that's less like we come to the, the you know we're about to walk out the curtain and I say yeah you know what pal I'm not going to do the job. Like I'm sure it's like when you book him you know what's you know the deal. Hey yeah I'll do it but I can't lose. 
Oh, I've said that for years. It's like that's always been my complaint for years. I don't know why they book him because he doesn't make anyone look good and he doesn't put anyone over. He very rarely puts anyone over. There was a big controversy on Twitter with Fujita a couple weeks ago with Alan Forel. He's like, I don't know why people book this guy. He 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 stiffs everybody and um, you know he's dangerous. And so there's guys in Japan who um, aren't thrilled about doing jobs and won't do jobs, and it probably does affect where and how they get booked. But there's still some places that will take chances on them because they lack star power and they're trying to draw fans. And those are two of the names that pop up. And I'm sure that there's other guys that are hard to work with, um, especially in Japan. Um, the U.S., you're right. We don't hear as much about it, um, you know, especially in the major companies. There's people in the chat room bringing up people like Loki. I mean, he's a pretty good example of a guy who, you know over the years has walked out of companies because he was right right i kind of figure he i kind of think of him as like that last generation like you know we you always bring up davy richards low-key those sort of i i I don't consider them like current in any way shape or form i mean they're still maybe hanging around a little bit and low-key you know was doing some mlw stuff but that to me that's like another generation of 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 indie dudes like i I don't consider that the current wrestling scene at all well they learned from the guys who didn't do it the generation. you know they learned from watching kevin von eric you know i mean like um you know but yeah, no, you, you don't see a ton of like the uncooperative stuff. Now, that match I think was I looked it up. It was March 11th, 86, and it's on Daily Motion. So if you don't have New Japan World, you could still watch that match I'm talking about. And you can make your own judgment. I mean, to me, I'm watching a guy who isn't shooting. He's clearly not shooting. But he's not cooperating in the way that's intended. That is a hundred percent. Is it? Is it November third, nineteen eighty six? No, I think it's the other way. I think because Cage Match shows it as November third, nineteen. Maybe I'm reading it in reverse. I'm thinking March third, eleventh, but maybe it's November. The, 3rd, the reason I ask is because so here's here's the here's the cycle here. You have. Um, Kevin Von Erich's in there in January. He's in New Japan in, in, in February. Then he comes back in October. He does a whole run of shows in late October. And then a whole run of shows in the first week of November. And then after that match, the Keiji Muto, Kengo Kimura, and Tony Inoki, Kevin Von Erich, uh, which I believe is November 3rd, 1986. Uh, he's not back until a year later <laughs> in June. So uh, whether that, that was planned, of- yeah, that was the end of his tour. So I think yeah. he was just like, nope, I'm good. <laughs> like- yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure... Um, that that's the match. I, I, how many other times would that pairing wrestling? Yeah, I, look, I can't so, find it again, so I believe it is. Yeah, it's got to be it. I just so. had the I had the you know what the Japanese dates sometimes for sure. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting that it is his last. But and I don't think it's like get out of here. We don't want to deal with you, kid anymore. Type thing. I think he just that was the end of the tour. That was the last stop on the tour last night, and he was like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> What's the worst oh, thing happen? Like, and he and he knew he was eating the pin to right. What amounted to a rookie? I mean, he wasn't a, technically a rookie, but you get the idea. It was a young kid in a match, and he was told to that he was doing the job. So you could tell that he was going to get shined the rest of that match because he had that superstar mentality, you know. Um, and and he just didn't understand his role in that situation, or or like I said, understood the role and knew full well that yeah, fuck that. that's I'm, what I'm guessing that was what it was. Which you know, again, we think of a guy like Kevin Miner who who I don't think is notorious for being like completely uncooperative like that but like again like that's that's guys just did that those days you know what i mean like you know his deal was he worked stiff yeah his deal was you knew you were going to take a beating if you wrestled him but he was hardly alone when it came to that and i think a lot of that with kevin von eric was the boss was his father so what are you gonna do yeah you're not gonna you know (laughs) you're not gonna bitch anybody out you're not gonna get booked anymore so yeah and he was a little he was small like he's in there with one man gang he wants his shit to look good 
So it's like, I'm not like, look, I'm not the one in there taking potatoes. So I'm not like justifying the fact that he was beating people up all those years, but he's just a guy who he laid it in. I mean, that was his reputation forever. It's why he was always my favorite Von Eric to watch. I mean, David never did a thing for me. I get it. He was six foot, whatever his shoot height was. He was billed at like six, eight, but I think he was like six, five or something. Right. So David was the tall one and he had the size. I get it. He was going to be NWA world champ. He never did it for me. Kerry. I mean, he's obvious why he was a star. I mean, look at him. You know, the guy looked like a fucking Adonis. Yeah. He, I, so, Kerry's terrible though. I mean, like in ring, he was awesome. Awful. Promos That's were terrible, but yeah, he came out and he looked like a million bucks and women were crying and screaming. And it's like, yeah, you get it. Like there's not much more you need to do. Just, you know, keep it simple with him in the ring. And, and, and yeah, there's not much else you have to do because he's a fucking Adonis. He's a, he's, he's an ungodly, like, you know, attractive man for that era that, yeah, it's like, you don't have to do anything. He's it's not, it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to figure out what to do with Kevin, uh, you know, Carrie Von Eric. Keep it simple, come out and win. And we're good. That's all we need to do with you. So, so my point here was he had one brother who was the next Dory Funk. He had another brother who was like. Uh, the Hulk was uh, was like the, uh, similar to Hulk Hogan, and here's Kevin. Now, what stands out about Kevin? Really, not much. So, I think there may have been a little bit of a kind of a well. I need to stand out, so I'm not going to wear boots. I'm going to wrestle barefoot, and my style is going to be. You're going to believe me. You're going to believe in my style. No one's going to think that my shit is fake. Carrie didn't have to worry about that. Carrie could just stand there and get over. David didn't have to worry about that. He's six foot five. He was uh, being groomed to be a world champion, you know, and, and, and all this. Kevin had to have his own niche, you know, and I'm doing amateur psychology here, but I just feel like he felt like he had to stand out in his own way. And I think that may have had, uh, may have been the reasoning behind not wearing the boots. What's the first thing you think of with Kevin Von Eric? Yeah, that motherfucker wrestled boots. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a Von Eric that yeah. wrestled barefoot. And I think that he was just going to be stiff and believable. And I might not be an Adonis like my other brother, and I might not be a future world champion, but people are going to think that I'm the toughest motherfucker in this family. And I think that that was his mindset, you know? And, you know, that's what, and his matches to me were always the most interesting. And, you know, because, because of that physicality that he brought to his matches. So, um, and, and this match I think is a really good, um, this tag match is a really good example. Of that. I don't know what this has to do with Grace. We just kind of got off on a tangent here. No, it's fine. No, but, but I think like ultimately the reason I wanted to start the show with this is, is I think it's a good, cause you know, immediately as I think of that question of, you know, what's the most famous match you've never seen before. I thought of it. And then I now made plans to watch it, and then I ended up thinking, "Hey, wait! I also haven't watched this match." And now I went, and now I have like a little project of watching some old, you know, TNA main events that I probably have never seen before. And and I think that's, you know, in in a way, that's why I, I you know, I'm not trying to like, you know, yell at people. Oh my god, I can't believe you've never seen this match or whatever. But now it's a great opportunity for me to be like. Dude, just watch it. Like, what do you mean you haven't watched Goldberg Hogan? What do you mean you haven't watched Brett versus Owen? What do you mean you haven't watched a Bret Hart match ever? What do you mean you haven't watched, you know, any 90s All Japan? You, you know, no, go watch it. It's all here. Like, the internet's great. Like, you can find this stuff very, very easily. Like, you, you know, it, there, there's no excuse now uh, not to see those stuff. Sometimes you just need that kick in the ass. So that's really, really the reason I brought it up is, like, it's a great thought experiment. Now you say, oh, hmm, you know, that is a yeah, blind spot for me. For me, Lucha, like, big-time Lucha matches. 
I've seen a few here and there, but not nearly enough. Like, you know, when I think of like matches that I've never seen before, famous matches that I've never seen before, that comes up as well. And it makes me think, ah, fuck, you know what? When I have some free time, let me go watch some top tier Lucha matches. You know, let me go watch some of these famous matches I've never seen before. These famous mass versus mass matches that I've never seen. So, so that's all it's about. It's like not really not necessarily trying to like shame anybody for not seeing stuff, but more kind of that kick in the ass of like, all right, you know what? Yeah, go watch that. You know, especially if you're listening to this show. Especially if you're, you, you know, consider yourself a pretty deep wrestling fan. There's no excuse not to watch some of these things. You know, learn the history. Do, do you have matches? Because I had this conversation on Twitter with Chad Campbell, and I agreed with him. Because his his matches were the Daniel uh, Brian Danielson Takeshi Morishima ROH matches. He's never seen those, and his reason was it's because he's waiting to watch 2007 ROH chronologically, and he hasn't gotten around to it yet, and he wants to watch them organically and in order. I have a million matches like that that I have shelved because I'm like ah, I want to try to watch it in context, and it's like. It's kind of stupid. I should just go watch the matches because that's like a barrier you're putting up for yourself. Right, right, right. Like now for you, I think that's a barrier and you should definitely just say fuck it and just go watch those. I get why Chad would do that because Chad's somebody. No, no, I'm not marrying him. No, I just mean he's in that PWO world, the DVDR world where those guys will like just now are getting to like, you know. 2002 and watching the entire year of two, like those guys are definitely just like a, a, a different breed altogether. So I get why they're that way. But uh, and I don't mean I'm not disparaging them at all. It's just the way that they go about it, which is really cool. Like I, I'm glad that's well, awesome that they do that. I just could never do that. Like your point here is Joe, go watch that Memphis match because you're never watching 1977 Memphis. Exactly. So just fucking do it. Those, <laughs> yeah, right. those guys are going to do that. So when Chad says I'm waiting to watch 2007 ROH, we know that at some point he's actually going to do that. Yeah, it'll be ten years I'm from now, pro- but he'll get there. <laughs> like, I'm just procrastinating and putting up a, a wall that doesn't need to be there. For whatever you know, match it is that, and 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 you know, it's just like a lot of these matches. They're not long. Just go fucking watch them. Knock them off your list, you know, and then get that historical perspective uh, going, um, so you don't have these these weird blind spots. So, and and, I, and that's kind of like what we were doing with when we were recommending matches to each other, and we were digging a little deeper. I think in those cases, we weren't picking like super famous matches. But that's probably because we thought that we've seen them all. Right. But what this reveals is that we haven't. You know, so it's like, um, you know, whenever we would do that, I would always try to dig super deep. But maybe the idea should be, hey, maybe I should pitch some matches to him that are famous that maybe, you know, he's going to say, yeah, I haven't seen that. Um, But these people who are like, I've seen it all. It's like, come on, dude. You've seen three. (laughs) You know, wrestling is so vast, you can't have seen it all. There, you, everyone has blind spots. It's like saying you've listened to all the music. It, it's just – it's stupid to even say. Like, you haven't seen it all. It's impossible. So, um, yeah, yeah, I thought I thought it, it was interesting and, and, and the responses were kind of eye-opening. And it tells you, you know, you don't, you don't take – don't always take the audience for granted either. Right. You know, it's like, I don't believe in talking down to the audience and I don't think we ever have. And I don't want to do that because I think our audience is savvy enough where if we're talking about a topic or a wrestler that they don't know, they'll do the work if it's interesting enough to them and, and, and catch up. But you, at the same time, you can't really take it for granted that everyone has seen something like Savage Steamboat, which is, it, it is hard to wrap your your head around, 
So that was a cool, again, like a good thought experiment. So maybe a, an opportunity for you if, if you're listening to this right now. Think about the ones that you haven't seen. Think about, you know, maybe a, a year, a promotion, a wrestler. It, it might be tough at first. Like, honestly, I, for me, it was like, oh, man, I, I kind of did the same thought. Oh, I've seen it all. And then I'm thinking, no, I haven't seen, like, you know, I've seen t- 1.1% of all Lucha that's ever existed. Like, I haven't seen anywhere near, <laughs> you know, any of that. And then I'm thinking, fuck, I, I, there's some big TNA matches I've never seen. So, yeah, think about it and, uh, you know, try it, you know, well, you, well, you got some time. Winter's coming. You, you, you got some time to uh, figure those out. But, uh, Joe, we have a lot else to get to. But before we do that, though, I need to ask you, ask you a question. Are you ready? I'm ready for any question you have for me. What season is it, Joe? It's winning season. It's not anymore, but there's no shortage of games to watch. <laughs> the winning season part's gone, but I just thought I would ask it anyway to get it started. But that doesn't matter. There's no shortage of games for you to watch with thousands of lines available on all of your favorite sports and events. You can turn your game day into payday with my bookie. NFL, college football, MLB playoffs. You got plenty of stuff. Joe, have you dabbled at all in the, uh, the college football yet this season? I have. It's a weird season, right? So are, have you been making money? Have you been losing money? How's it? Because, like, no one's practicing. Like, half the teams aren't playing. I, I've been, you know, watching a little bit of college football, and there's just upsets every fucking day. Every Saturday, it's like I look at the scroll on the bottom of ESPN, and this, you know, number three team is down, and this number five team is down and stuff. Have you been doing okay, though? Play the, the dogs. Play the dogs. Take the points. My advice, college So you have football. been doing, yeah, this, especially this college season. Because, like, yeah, no, nothing has been taken for granted other than Alabama. Pretty much every other team, Alabama and Clemson, are pretty good. Well, Alabama just lost, though, didn't they? Or am I mixing them up with somebody else? Nah, they struggled with Georgia. Take they struggled, the that's right. They struggled. They won, though, right? Take the points, Rick, in these games. <laughs> okay, there you go. Well, if you're the type of guy who likes to back the big favorites, which you're not, uh, consider putting a couple uh, in a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not I should have read this copy before I suggested take the points. <laughs> as, as I immediately tell. Well, no, no, no. They're not saying that, that you shouldn't take the big favorites. They're saying put a couple of them into a parlay for a much yes. bigger payout. Because, Joe, I don't know if you know this, but not only do parlays make meaningless games exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real money maker. And now here's your part. Don't forget the underdogs. They have value. The thing about the NFL and college football is that underdogs are never really dogs on Saturdays and Sundays. Every team truly has a chance to win, and Joe, you do too. Game spreads, championship futures, player prop bets. It's never too late to get in the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash. Sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, use our exclusive promo code, VOW, to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to $1,000. So, Joe, explain that to the folks. I'm going to put $75 in, and I'm going to use that promo code VOW. What happens? They match and give you $75. they are going to give you $75 for nothing. Correct. Just because I put VOW in. Correct. That's stupid. Why are they doing that? I, I don't know. Take advantage of it. <laughs> what idiots? Why are they doing that? But I'll take it. I'm going to put $1,000 in because they're going to give me $1,000 back. They're going to give me $1,000. That's insane. But anyway, promo code VOW. That's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. Okay, I guess it is still winning season. There we go. Okay. Anyway, that's promo code VOW uh, to claim your bonus when you make your deposit. Stacked UFC cards. Presidential prop bets. Have you gotten in any of the presidential prop bets? You know, it's too late now because we're going head-to-head with it, but they have the debate props where you can bet on whether Trump will stay Sleepy Joe X <laughs> right. amount of times. <laughs> you can bet on whether on whether Joe Biden will say the words, that's a bunch of malarkey. You can bet on stuff like that. Yeah, those, those are actually insane. Like, even if you're not, like, a, a big into, like, sports betting, I, I would honestly really take a look at the presidential prop bets, both the debates – 
there's weird ones of like Nancy Pelosi will still be the president and like, or she'll be the president by January 2nd, which I was like, that's ridiculous. And I looked it up and there's some weird thing where if they don't decide a winner, she like gets the crown at a certain, yeah. and I'm thinking, man, like the odds are incredible. And I'm like, oh man, like, that's not, you know, it's not the worst idea to throw 50 bones on that and just see what happens. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like what if they're, they're arguing over the ballots and they, you know, they lose track of time and Nancy Pelosi like takes power. Like, the odds you are can, insane. Like they're incredible. So yeah, there's all kinds of ways. Did you see the uh, the death prop section where they pit two celebrities against each other, and you you <laughs> pick did. which one will die first? I did. I did, and then I felt very yeah. morbid. But then I also remember that uh, a yearly tradition between me and a few of my buddies is is they would join death pools, and yeah. we would on New Year's Eve go through and 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 decide, look at the past year and where we went wrong, and 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 decide this next year. Uh, who's gonna die? It was a very fun activity on New Year's Eve. But, you know, uh, in the mid the mid aughts, I was a huge death pool player, like serious death pool player, huge money. Um, you know, we had like uh, sp- you know, big you know, these specific rules for our death pools. I was huge into that. Yeah, people don't understand right. how big that is. Like, yeah, there was like, it's- yeah, th- this guy that used to do it, like, had a set of rules because I'd be like, oh, this guy, and he's like, no, nah, he's got cancer, and I'm like, well, what? That- that's fine. He's like, no, you can't get a guy who actively has cancer. I'm like, what? Come on. Yeah. Like, he's yeah, like, no, we haven't. Rule 18B says that like, you know, anybody with leukemia is not eligible, and I'm like, oh man, like, come on. Terminal illnesses, death row inmates. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of leagues will ban that stuff. Um, a lot of leagues do points based on the person's age. My, you know, a hundred minus the person's age. So if an eighty-year-old dies, yes. you get yeah, twenty that's the, points. The, the ones that I did always did that too. So I was always asked which wrestlers I thought were going to die. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of points. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I, I just I, I fell out of that. You know, it, it, it's probably for it the better. Grind- I mean, to be honest, it's probably for the better. So. It grinds on you after a while, rooting for people to die. Like there's there's a psychological thing to fuck. Yes, George Burns died. You know, it's like eventually it's like it, it. you're like, why am I cheering this? You know, is it really worth the three hundred dollars I'm going to win? You know, if I if I if I quote unquote win this thing. So um I kind of got out of it, but yeah, no, death pools are a big thing. Big Real thing. Yeah, big. my bookie has those too. Those presidential prop bets are good. As you said, NFL, college football, a few more games left of the MLB playoffs. You can join in all the major sports and more. Uh, sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at my bookie. Again, promo code VOW to claim a deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to $1,000. Promo code VOW, mybookie.ag is how you do that. So, all right. G1 Climax, Joe, you sick of talking about this yet? I mean, this will be the last time, right? I think so. I think you're done. So, uh, Kotobushi has done it. Kotobushi won the G1 Climax. I believe you and I uh, were correct in predicting him as the obvious winner last week's show. Uh, You can run the tape, but uh, I don't know why you would even bother because I promise uh, Joe and I, we said of all the people, Kotobushi is clearly the one. Uh, who's going to win this? But no, he was, uh, you know, I, I think a relatively big upset. Uh, first to win back to back G1 since uh, Hiroshi Tenzan uh, in 2003 and 2004. Yeah. Why do you think he wasn't a popular pick at the beginning? Do you think we were just blind to the bigger story or, or what happened here to get Kotobushi uh, to the G1 Why? How were we wrong, Joe? How were we wrong about this? Um, I think that. Well, I mean, most people were wrong. I mean, you just look at our poll, our pool, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm going I'm to get the exact number, but it was something like. 15% of all people had Kota I mean, it was he was he was well below your your, your Jay Whites, your Okadas, your Naitos, your Evils, your Sonatas. Like, yeah, he was he was, he was very low on the list of people, you know, with people pre- predicting him to win this whole thing. I just think sometimes New Japan booking is really good at 
at hiding the obvious in plain sight. You know, we've said that over the years. It's kind of like light bulb booking. They do things and you're like, oh, the light bulb just went on. That makes sense. And, you know, everybody picking Sonata and Jay White, you know, those were the two trendy picks. And we even got wrapped up in that. But it's like, and and we kind of talked about this too. Those aren't really Wrestle Kingdom main events. Sonata versus Naito. I mean, we talked about how that just felt a little off, you know, and I don't even think Jay White versus Naito at this point is like the kind of match that can carry a Wrestle Kingdom. It's better than Sonata because Jay White's closer than Sonata. I mean, Jay White is pretty much a top tier. Look, I, I still don't put Jay White on the same level as Sonata, uh, as uh, Naito and Okada, um, but he's much closer than Sonata. Um, so, so it's like, Abushi lost the two matches last year. Someone had to lose twice. And it was Abushi after winning the G1 to tack on to the humiliation. And if you know anything about the way New Japan typically books, you're usually going to get something back for that. And I just don't think anyone really thought about that. I didn't think about it until he won. And then I'm like, now wait a minute. He lost twice in the dome last year. This is this all makes sense, right? He he might just beat Naito at Wrestle Kingdom, and that kind of is his story. Like this guy won the G1 one year. He suffered the indignity of losing both of his matches, and then he comes back the very next year, wins it again, and then and then gets his moment. So. But don't forget losing a G1, you know, three straight G1 finals, too. He loses to Tanahashi and trying to get to the, you know, Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. Gets to Wrestle Kingdom, then loses twice. Now he's back at it once again. Right. So it's like, whether he beats Naito or not, it's like, I think, again, this was just hiding in plain sight. While we were focusing on more glamorous choices, newer choices, fresher choices. And I think all that stuff's by design. You know, so I think that's what happened. I think that explains it's not a sexy pick to pick a guy who just won it the year before and feels like he's not on that trajectory this year. Right. Oh, very rare. I mean, we, we just talked about it. I mean, other than, you know, you had Tenzan in 2003 and 2004 is, you know, the, the last one to do. And even before him, you, like, you gotta go to Chono, I believe, to find the last guy. So it's like, yeah, it's, 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 it's wild. It doesn't happen very often. So yeah, it's it's it'd be silly to predict it or to think that it's going to happen. And 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 yeah, like you and said, everybody was... wants to find the next guy, right? I mean, that that's there's the fun in something like this. It's like picking the NCAA tournament. You don't want to pick Duke. You know what I mean? You want it. You want to pick some four seed and be the one guy who picked that team to win it all. And then it's like you you're looking for the next thing. You don't want to go chalk. And it's like. Sonata and Jay White looked like very logical next things. So I think that's why they dominated the predictions. Um, and, and someone like Abushi got overlooked. So um, that's the best answer I could give you. But now that he's won it, again, it all just seems so obvious. I mean, of course, that's a Wrestle Kingdom main event. Tetsuya Naito versus Kota Abushi. I mean, that just... That jumps off the page. That's a big time match. That's two mega stars. That's not taking a risk with someone like a Sonata. Um, you know, so you know now, now, now. But the thing is, with with the 
attendance restrictions. It might not even matter who's it. They could. I think they could put twenty thousand people in that building with any match. That's yeah, and that that was a big thing that influenced you know my sort of picks about it is is you know you always said oh what's a Wrestle Kingdom main event? That's not a Wrestle Kingdom main event. And to me, I was just like, I don't really know if it matters. Like I honestly think once they say hey here's Wrestle Kingdom buy tickets. This year, more than ever, I feel like they would probably just sell fifteen thousand to twenty thousand just on the the merits of hey, we're gonna be at the Tokyo Dome in a wrestling show. Come watch it. Like I don't. This year, more than ever, I, I just don't think they needed anything. So that's probably what led me in directions of, of of thinking. Okay, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. It can be you know Sonata. It can be Evil. It can be Jay White. It can be anybody really. You, you know, w- within reason can can main event that because I don't think it's actually going to matter to sell sell those tickets. But you know, now with Kota and, and, and Naito, you know for sure that that thing is selling twenty to twenty five, whatever whatever amount they're going to allow to get in there. I think they're pretty safely, you know, barring a catastrophe, probably going to get th- at least near that for the one night and, and, and possibly both nights, depending on, on what they do, which we'll talk about, I guess, in a sec, is that we're going back to uh, the, uh, the the double dome days. So, But I think they're just doing what they were planning on doing, and they're disregarding any kind of attendance stuff. I just think whatever the plans were are the plans. I never bought into the idea that evil, the evil thing was just a COVID thing to buy time. I, I just think... Everything that's happening was the plan all along, and I think they're just sticking to their plans. And the ticket situations, they are what they are. And I don't think they're holding back anything. I don't get that impression at all. Uh, The impression I get is they're just doing their shit, and they're not delaying things. And, you know, you know, this company, for the when it comes to the big picture, it's pretty intricately laid out, you know, and I don't think they're. Um, they're fucking with it, you know, and I think this Abushi was likely winning whether we were having COVID or not. So, um, you know, I, I, so that's why I don't – they're doing double dome and I don't think they're worried about how many people are let in and I don't think they're consi- – you know, we talked about this um, a million times. Me, my business brain, it would change my booking, but – I don't get the impression that's happening in this company. Right, and it didn't happen last year either. You know, you and I talked about, like, it'd be ridiculous to have Okada and Naito, you know, on night two when you can't, you know, get people ready to, you know, buy. And then they just did it. You know, they just were like, I know, we're going to do it. And it's like, all right, well, that's fine. Like, I I wouldn't. You know, you and I were were the assholes that would say, no, you know, we didn't tell you you're going to get Okada and Naito. You're just assuming you're getting Okada and Naito. No, you got to come back another month uh, and and, and sell this place out, and then we'll give you Okada and Naito or whatever. But uh, they, yeah, last year they proved with the Double Dome that they they aren't really thinking that way, and and, and I'm kind of with you as well. I I think a lot of what they do, and and that's, I never bought into the evil thing either. Oh, this is just, you know, a, a, a diversion because there's no fans, and they might as well try something out. Like, that's just never how this company's booked. Usually it is, here's what we have, here's our plan. And let's go to that plan. So yeah, I I I, I feel the same thing about Abushi too. Like maybe we didn't see it coming, but uh, I, to me it's pretty. You know, it, it, knowing this company, knowing the bat, you know how they book and stuff. This is a plan that they've had for for a while at least, and, and and maybe even set up a year prior with him losing both of the matches at the dome. So yeah, and and I mean, and Jericho. I mean, he said in passing that Gato told him, you know, in a couple of years I'm I'm putting the title on Evil. So. That kind of blew up that theory right then and there, you know. Run Evil won the title, and Jericho on his podcast revealed that. So, um, and you know, apparently those guys talk all the time because now there's this whole thing where, um, where according to Meltzer, Jericho helped lay out the 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 details of the Osprey turn. So, um, you know, Jericho and Gator, which tells you, I mean, 
if people don't think Jericho is going to be back in New Japan at some point, they're nuts. I mean, you know, especially I think all this time away, because it was getting a little, you know, tired seeing Jericho come in. But with all this time away from New Japan, he's going to feel hot again when he comes in and inevitably feuds with whether it's Minoru Suzuki or whoever it is he hasn't had a match yet with who he wants to have a match with. So that door is obviously going to be open. But, um, yeah, so Bushi wins, and presumably, I mean, he's wrestling Jay White for the case, so it's not like there's always the possibility he could lose that match. I really don't have a good feel for that match, other than I think Abushi is a stronger Wrestle Kingdom main eventer than Jay White is. But Double Dome makes everything so hard to predict because you need two main events now. So I don't fucking I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, the one thing about New Japan right now is I think it's more unpredictable than ever. I don't think anyone has a good feel for 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 New Japan this year. I mean, some of that's COVID, but some of that is um it's just to me, it's just a new era. Yeah, no, th- things are definitely different than they were the last, you know, 6-7 years or whatever. Like we we re- we reached a point pretty easily on this show where we could basically nail down you know what they're gonna do who they're gonna push who's gonna win like we were for uh, and legit it's not even like a, a, a some shtick or some you know bit that i'm doing here like legitimately for three or four years we could pretty much say all right this is where they're going this is who's winning and and, and with pretty other than you know naito losing to okada in that one wrestle kingdom like we pretty much nailed most of like the big picture stuff uh with new japan for for, for many 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 years and i'm at a point now too where i'm just like i don't know i mean jay white could easily be kota Bushi for the you know the briefcase where i would have never thought like you know prior years i'm like no you know bad like folly's not beating okada for the briefcase get out of here there's no way or no Goda was not gonna you know beat this guy and win this title or whatever but i i don't know like short like i don't think evil's beating naito and if i'm wrong about that then gato has absolutely lost his mind i'm not i'm not even gonna take a you know if, if that happens a power struggle then he's absolutely lost his mind but you know jay white being a bushi i i don't know maybe <laughs> like uh, this year more than ever it feels like yeah it could probably happen you know it's just because you know like you said it's a weird year I tell you what it feels like. It feels like 2012. Because just like 2012, I think this year and then 2021 are just like what 2011 and 2012 were. It's the beginning of a new era for the company and a new set of story arcs. And I wrote about this behind the paywall on the $10 tier. And to me, the last, the previous era of the company, which was sort of that Okada era, that Okada versus that Okada versus Tanahashi era, whatever you want to call it, I think that ended when Naito beat Okada on January fifth. And the reason I say that is because Naito winning that title from Okada in the Dome, not the little one month reign that he had in 2015 or whatever to establish him. The big win that his fans were waiting for. The win over Okada in the Dome. Once once that happens, all of the long-term story arcs from from that era were over. They're done. Tanahashi had his big reign, which set up Okada ending that reign as the big surprise and then elevating Okada. They had their big feud to establish Okada as you know a legend in his own right Okada wins the feud 
Okada has his big flagship title reign because he's never having another one like that again to establish himself as an all-time legend and the greatest wrestler of his generation and all of that. And all along the while, it was Naito underneath, LIJ, underappreciated, all of this, working to get his big moment, which was beating Okada in the Dome for the title, which was set up brilliantly by losing to Okada in the Dome for the title when everybody thought he was going to win. And it all turned out to be perfect booking. I wouldn't change a thing. If Naito wins that first match, okay, the timing isn't as right as winning it the second time when people were really wanting it. You make people really want it. It was too soon to win it that first time. And if he wins it that first time, you lose that incredible year that followed. You know, with Okada's monster record-breaking reign and, you know, the Omega match. You lose all of that. It wasn't right. Everything was perfect. But when Naito finally beat Okada, all of the stories of that era were now told to completion. All we were waiting on was Naito to beat Okada in the Dome. Okay? His arc has now peaked and been completed. Okada's arc peaked and was completed when his big reign ended. Okay? Tanahashi, his work is done. He got Okada over. Mm -hmm. That was his job, to get Okada over. Mission accomplished. And now he's been, you know, working his way down the card. So now Naito beats Okada. There's no more stories to tell for those wrestlers. They've peaked. It doesn't mean that they just magically go away. But they take on Tanahashi's role from the previous era. That's who Okada and Naito are now. They're still top guys. Okada will probably still have a title reign or two. Naito's not going anywhere. But this era belongs to Jay White. It belongs to Evil. It belongs to Sonata. It belongs to Will Ospreay. It belongs to Kota Ibushi. Projected out long term, it belongs to Okan. And I'll talk about that later. But it belongs to the next generation. This is the beginning of the long-term story arcs for this wave. These wrestlers were either just being established in the previous era or just being kept warm. But now, and you see it in this G1, their arcs have begun. Evils began when he turned on Naito in the summer. Will Ospreay's began when he turned on Okada on night 17 of the G1. And was put in charge of his own unit. Sonatas began when he feuded with Okada last year. And continued this year by making it to a G1 final. Jay White. We're about to have Bullet Club turmoil. Between him and Evil. And the Bullet Club feels like a relic from the previous era. Which again. The whole point of the Bullet Club. Was to elevate. Prince Devitt. His arc would have been. What we later saw with AJ Styles and and Omega. But he left. He took the deal. And Tonito. But Devitt left. So AJ stepped in. Then he left and Omega stepped in. And it all worked out better for the company because Omega drew more money than either of those guys would have. And he had a legendary series of matches with both Okada and, and Naito. So the Bullet Club feels like a relic of the previous era, mm-hmm. and we all know it's about to implode. Yeah. And then we're going to see whatever's going to happen 
with Jay White and Evil. Everyone seems to think it'll be Jay White's time to go face. We all know his future is top-line babyface. So that's why I say we are now entering a new era. And this was the first G1 of that new era. Because this is all the next decade isn't going to be about Okada and Naito anymore. And we know it's not going to be about Tanahashi. He's 43 years old. He was the weak half of his tag team all year long with Abushi. You don't think that was by design? They were telling you Abushi's better than him now. This is now Abushi's time and Osprey's time and, and White's time and Sonata's time and go right down the line. And do not disregard Okan. Yeah, I was I was gonna and say, I, you know, the big thing to me, you know, you know, when you mentioned the new era, to me the big thing that I see is this new unit from Osprey. I mean, that that has the potential to really shake things up a lot because, and and I've been calling this for years. I've been wanting for years to be a new you know unit in in New Japan, and we have one. And this is the first you know truly completely new unit that we have. You know, now it's it's you know it's only three people deep right now, or technically you know two people deep in terms of New Japan talent. But those two are important. And any new unit that that takes place in New Japan, they're not be, they don't create a unit to have them you know in the mid card. They don't have to create a unit to have them be fighting for the never open way title. I mean that that established that this. Dude, you know, Osprey is here to stay. This unit's here to stay, and Okar now is the second guy is going to be a big deal too. I mean, I, that 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 to me was like the biggest eye opener of like, oh, okay, we are really doing some new stuff now. This is a really changed thing because that's going to fracture a lot. I mean, whatever end up, ends up happening with that unit, whether they grab people from other units, whether they they expand on their own with outside people, like that is going to be a big thing. I mean, now you just shake it up on that level. Just having a new unit completely shakes up. The tag division, the the, the, the six-man division, the hierarchy, all that sort of stuff has changed. And it has not really changed much. There's been some moving parts. Some guys have come and gone. Some guys have moved up. Some guys have you know moved on. All that sort of stuff. But like we have not had since really LIJ, right? Like I'm trying to think off the top of my head, like a unit that actually yeah. came in and just like completely transformed the entire company. And 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 that, you know, Spray's thing is gonna do that. It's going to do that. It flips it flips a big guy from heel to face. It flips a big guy from chaos to whatever the hell it's going to be, the Empire, it, it looks like. I mean, that's a big, big deal. That people are maybe underrating how big of a deal that is. And, you know, Okan, the only thing stopping him from becoming a top star and is either poor performance or he just, you know, a lack of crowd connection. Because he'll be given every opportunity because Kadani loves him. He pushed for him to be signed. He loved uh, – he's, he's been in his corner since he was signed. And that's the, the most vital fan to have. That's the best fan in the world to have is the guy that runs the company. So he's going to be given every opportunity. So unless he just completely falls on his face, that guy's going to be given every opportunity to be a big star. They love his amateur background, all of it. You know, um, uh, Nagata loves the guy. He, I'm telling you. Do not disregard him. And this is going to be one of those pieces of audio that six years from now we're replaying and doing a victory lap on because people think we're nuts right now. Do not disregard Ocon. That's all I'm saying. At your own peril, disregard this guy. But I believe the next decade is about all of these names. And just like the previous era, it wasn't necessarily about Tanahashi. It was it was about Naito and Okada. And Tanahashi was that key component to helping Okada happen. Well, now it's Okada and Naito's turn to be the key component in making all of these the guys happen. So again, I'm not saying they're just going to magically go away. Tanahashi didn't magically go away. 
Gabe is he was a very important part. But Okada has peaked, man. People need to come to grips with that. He's not topping that title run, that record breaker. That was it. He put Tanahashi in the rear view and had the greatest title reign of all time. And the greatest series of matches in the history of wrestling against Kenny Omega. Well, how can you top any of that? He's established as an all-time legend. Not just in New Japan, but in wrestling. And Naito, his story was complete. His story peaked when he beat Okada on January 5th. For the double title, something Okada has never done and likely will never do. That's Tanahashi's story. That's Naito's story complete. That's all his fans ever wanted. Beat that motherfucker in the dome. And on top of it, he, he beat him for the double title to become the first ever double champion. So that's Naito's big accomplishment. He climbed his mountain. And these guys are in their 30s now. And Rich, did you notice the working style in this G1? It wasn't nearly as physical as years past. Now, you can say that's because of the clap crowds. And I definitely think that's part of it. But I also think it's because these guys are a little older and they're feeling it. And I think that style is the style of the previous. I don't think moving forward, the New Japan style is going to be the same as it was. Yeah, that, that'll be interesting oh. to see in, once crowds come back. If that's like you said, if that's just a product of hey, you know, it's just kind of clap crowds. It's a half filled audience. We don't really need to go bust our ass. Or like you said, yeah, if maybe it is less of a you know sort of strong, hard hitting style, and it is more a little bit of what we saw in the B block, which was you know a little bit more story heavy, a little bit more uh, uh, of that sort of stuff, or maybe a little bit more high flying when when you have guys like Osprey in, in there in, in, in big roles. Uh, it'd be fascinating to see. Yeah, that I that I don't know if I can make a. a, a Big general, like I don't know that I can say definitively. Yes, you're you're absolutely right, Joe. Just because I don't know what the no crowds, you, you know, it's so weird, it's so different. I, I, and I, and I, I get. Make, well, I'm know. making. I'm just making a prediction because I think it's a different group of guys, and I think, um, you know, maybe they learned from the previous ones. I just, it, it's not as physical. This tournament was not nearly as physical as your classic G ones of the previous era. It just wasn't. Right. And I'm not saying there weren't great matches because there were great matches. I don't think there were as many great matches. And again, that could be a product of the clap crowds too. The clap crowds hurt everything. It's better than no crowd, but you still really don't get to that next level of in-match quality with these crowds. You just don't. It's a hindrance, and we all have to come to grips with it. But I also think that, look, nothing stays the same forever and things change. And I've been saying for years on this show, appreciate what's happening in New Japan while it's happening in front of you because it does not last forever. Because I've seen these things come and go. I've seen Noah come and go. I've seen, you know, peak all Japan and then that all fall apart. And, and you know, um, a Ring of Honor when they were great for, you know, from 2004 to 2007 or whatever date you want to place the demise. You know, maybe a little later, 2008. And ECW when they got hot for three years there. And, and, and you know, these things – the New Japan thing was special because it lasted so long. You know, it, it was right. It got double what decade. most of these other ones do. Most of these other ones get, you know, all Japan maybe had it a, a little bit longer, give it a little bit of a run for its money. But yeah, most of these other ones you're talking about are, are three, four, five years tops most times, and then they're out. So, and we were, it was so special. And I always tried to stress that to the listeners appreciate this era while you're in it. I think we're out of it. I think this is something completely new, new story arcs that 
And I can't predict them. Just like in 2011, nobody knew Okada was going to carry the company for 10 years. He was still in TNA. Yeah. Yeah. Well, somebody on a QA that, asked me, you know, what are your next five Wrestle Kingdoms? And I was like, bro, I don't know. Who fucking knows, man? There might be a guy we don't even know about, <laughs> you know, next, next, yeah. you know, that's going to come up in the next three years that, that is going to be exactly, made event. You know, like, I don't, dude, I can't do five years. I could barely do two years. Like, I wouldn't have told you Jay White would be, you know, in a, in a Wrestle Kingdom main event, you know, two years ago when he, he's already there. So I don't, who knows, man? I named a half a dozen guys, and maybe four of those will hit, and two won't. Right? Yeah, I, I gave, I gave, you know, I gave the listener like seven names, I, almost the exact same list that you gave, and I was like, yeah, some of those guys, and then there's probably three other guys that I'm not even mentioning that who knows are going to come in, like you know. Only because, based on what I've seen, I feel like they've laid the groundwork for those guys that I named. Okay, but the, you know, it could be Uminu for all I know could come in and be. You just don't know, but I don't know what these. New arcs are going to be, but I know that we're getting that that we're seeing the beginnings of them and the start, and it's exciting. And I think that's why, in a lot of ways, New Japan is unpredictable right now. But you know, guys like you know, we see Goto's winding it down, and Tanahashi's winding it down, and they've already chosen to wind down the Nagatas and Kojimas, even though they could still go. Now we're seeing that next wave start to wind down a bit. You know, Tanahashi is working on two straight G1s where he really wasn't a factor. And he was the weak link in a tag team all summer. And they're telling you he's not on the top level anymore. You know, and Goto's just a guy. And, you know, Makabe's a ghost. And and then after, you know, it's like... Yeah, Makabe's a dad. Yeah, people were asking me, you know, who's the next New Japan dads? And I was like, yeah, he's 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 very close to that right now where he's just not a factor anymore. And he absolutely is yeah. not. I mean, and that's fine. Eventually, you go to the family get-together and you're the oldest generation. You know, and it's like the same thing here. Guys like Okada and Naito are quickly approaching. We're the old guys. I You know, and it, it sounds crazy to say, but... There were Tana. They are where Tanahashi was ten years ago, and it's that 2011 was to me the start of that era because Tanahashi needed that big run so Okada could come in and end it. Okada needed to usurp a legend and end a legendary run, and then feud with that legend and ultimately come out on top. And you know it's funny because we talked earlier in the show about there's no selfish wrestlers anymore. Show me a more selfless wrestler than Tanahashi. I mean, seven or eight years of his career were devoted to getting someone else over. That's what it's all about, man. If we had more of that in wrestling, we'd have more stars. That guy took seven years of his prime to get someone else over. To become a bigger star than he ever was. Think about that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. But now Okada might turn around and do that for Will Ospreay or whoever the fuck. I don't know who. But, you know, and, and then so it goes. And that's how pro wrestling used to be. And, of course, the egos would get in the way like we talked about. And it wouldn't always go according to plan. Right? But that's the idea. And I think that's what we're about to see. And we've all been waiting around for Kota Ibushi. And he's no spring chicken either, but... He just signed that contract. And all of these other story arcs were in his way. They're out of the way now. There's no more long-term stories to tell with Okada and Naito. 
which is why, you know, Abushi winning that second G1, and it's like, that's why I say it was hiding in plain sight. Well, why not? This could be his time now. And he's 38, and it's time to pull the trigger with him. Because Jay White's 25, and Will Ospreay's 28. And you have plenty of time with guys like that. But Abushi, it's now or never. Right. This is this has to be his run this year. I mean, he's what, 38, 37, 38, somewhere in that 38 range. 38 years old. Yeah, 38. Yeah, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you and, got it. Now's and, the time. So And the guys that were standing in his way, their stories are complete. Right. He's he's okay. like age-wise, I, I think people immediately go right to age and go, well, you know, he's but he's fresh in that in terms of like having a title run, in terms of being a main eventer, in terms of doing all that sort of stuff. He's been around the company for a while, but he's always kind of been on the fringes. And, you know, it was last year he finally put pen to paper and finally became, you know, committed to New Japan. And, and, and yeah, like, yes, he is, he is older than some of these other guys, but he is still a fresh story. Okada is not a fresh story anymore. Naito is no longer a fresh story anymore. So, so I'm, I'm right with you. It, it, it seems right for this year to be like kind of the time for, for Ibushi or, or next year, I should say. From to win that title and do and and do his part of the story, though, like you're saying, I don't think he's a long, long term part of the story. I think he's 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 a stopgap for a few years until you're ready now to 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 ascend. You know, your whites, your ospreys, your oka, your okas, your whoever the fucks. You know, guys that we're not even mentioning, guys that we don't even know. And the same yeah, th- but that's the thing. You, I think you nailed it. I think his long term arc started when he lost to Tanahashi in the G1 final, and then last year was the next step in that progression, and now this year. Because I hadn't even thought of that, losing the first G1. Mm-hmm. But I think that was the be- – before that, he was just a guy on the card who would work the semi-main events and the and sometimes main events and was just an awesome – but he really – he didn't figure in the big picture stories the way that Okada and, and Naito did. I think we'd all agree on that. He was a secondary player. But I think that Tanahashi loss began sort of his overreaching – overarching story of where he is now a mainline player. I mean, he worked the double dome in a headline spot last year, but he lost those matches. So yeah. And again, like you just summed up and like, cause I brought, you know, he's 38. This is when you do it with, cause those other guys are still in their twenties. Most of them are evil's not, but again, I'm not even see evil's the one that I am least confident in being a major player. I think evil is just going to be a top of the card heel. Um, I don't, you know, he may have another title run or two, but I don't think they see evil in the same light that they see Jay White and Will Ospreay and probably not even Sonata. I, you know, it's just so, but, but who knows? But again, this is the great unknown. And then again, like you're saying, all of the young lions who haven't come back, who, who might factor in and they might have ideas for that. We're not even thinking about who was thinking about. Okada, definitely not Okada. Naito, people always thought was a prodigy, and thought that he was going to be a superstar long term. Naito- yeah, well, I, I, you know, going back and watching some of these old G ones, you know, for Grade One, it was it was pretty clear that you know he was come back. The the one I was watching from uh, twenty twelve, where he's come back from CML, it's like yeah, that dude's already like on the trajectory. You can tell that guy's gonna be a megastar. It was just a matter of time. Well, even before that, like when he was a young lion and a young wrestler, he always drew comparisons to Muto. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. People thought this guy's like, and if you go back and watch Young Muto, they do move in a similar way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of eerie, and they always, you know, he was considered a wrestling genius. Naito, that was his like nickname for a while, like was the wrestling genius. And so it's kind of like you always felt like they had him on the back burner, but he was missing something. And I don't think in 2011, 2012, anyone was thinking that he was like super close to being the next guy. 
And Okada is a guy who, okay, so history has kind of changed his narrative a little. There were people who thought he could be a star. I don't think there were people who thought it was he was like a lock or he was going to come back from TNA and instantly become one. But there were people, Rich, who said, okay, this kid's got size. He's good looking. He's, tall, he's six foot four. He can work. He's got a great base. He could be something. He wasn't considered the prodigy in the lock that Naito was. Right. But it, but the narrative over the years has become, oh, he came out of nowhere. No, 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 no. There were people who saw some long-term potential with him. Okay. Now, the push did literally come out. No one thought they were going to rocket pack him the way that they did. That's true. And there were a lot of questions when they rocket packed him. Oh, man, is this too much too soon? It wasn't, oh, this guy sucks. What are they doing? It was, oh, is this too much too soon? Yeah, right, right, right. Can he handle this? Yeah, give him, give him some great. time to learn this new character because he comes in with that brand new character and within a month. And he stunk. Yeah, and he stunk and he had bad matches and he looked like shit and he had weird hair and weird teeth and weird everything. Like, he just looks so bizarre. And, and yeah, in a month time, they have him, you know, win that title out of nowhere. And yeah, I, I, I do remember at the time, you know, because that's now when, when I'm starting to follow that. Yeah, it wasn't so much what the hell are they doing with this geek, but more like. Ah, geez, that's a lot for him already. Like, are you sure? Yeah. Like, let's ease into this a bit, you know? Yeah. So it's like, I don't know what they're thinking about these people that we're talking about. Look, but I think it's clear. I mean, Jay White, I'm, I'm certain, is going to be a, a top. Oh, dude, Willow, yeah. I no, mean, Willow the, dude, the Jay White thing. If you listen to this show, we told you when he was beating David Finley on undercards that this dude was going to be. Main eventing yeah. Wrestle Kingdoms in, in, in enough in, in a few years. And you know, if we were gonna be wrong, we'll be wrong with that one. But I, I I was fairly confident. Look at this dude, look at his body, look at his face, look at his the way he works, look at his confidence. Like this dude's he's gonna make it. And and, and yeah, barring a catastrophe and injury or something, he, he was gonna make it and, and he's made it for sure. And the heel run is just the same as Naito and Okada's heel runs. That's just to get you ready to be the money drawing face. And we've been saying that all along. And we're quickly approaching him you know having that that baby face you know turning baby face and having that run i think we all feel it coming fairly soon which is a shame because i think he's finally truly peaking as a heel he has finally put it all together i mean his g1 was phenomenal his character work his promos uh the way he works his matches he has put all of it together you remember that 2018 g1 how infuriating he was he just it takes a while and he's finally put it together, and I feel like the turn is coming shortly. Um, and the Bullet Club, you know, is probably going to blow up or just exist in a completely different form. But yeah, I'm, I'm confident in him, and it's it's obvious they have big plans for Willow Spray. Evil, I'm not po- super confident that I think where he's at now could be where he stays. Sonata, who knows? I mean, I think personally Sonata's missing something. I think if this G1 was designed to be another step in his progress to superstardom, he came up short. I, I I feel like he's missing something. I feel like he slept walk through the whole tournament. I feel like they had a disappointing final, even though the match was fine. Yeah, that, that, I wanted to talk about the final a little bit too, but we'll, we'll get to that. Finish your point, and then we'll talk about the final. Cause well, that cause... was my point. My point is Sonata, to me, did not come across like a future superstar in this tournament. I thought he came up short. In fact, in my article behind the paywall – I assigned one word to everybody's tournament, and his was disappointing. I thought he was a disappointment, even though he made it to the final. 
he just he, he just there's something missing with him. He could he could listen. He could finish top ten in all of these dopey popularity polls all night all 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 day long. Okay, first of all, Jiro finishes top ten in those things. I'm tired of hearing about these popularity. They mean nothing. They mean next to nothing. I don't want to say they mean nothing, but they mean oh, when Jiro's finishing high in those things, they mean next to nothing. Okay, because Jiro can't Jiro couldn't fill my living room if he was at. Okay, it, it, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I'm serious. Jiro could wrestle in my backyard, and he, could, I mean, and couldn't fill every seat. I mean, it, it, you can only put so much stock in these dopey fan polls. It's hardcores. It's hardcores voting in these things. If a guy like Jiro is finishing in the top ten, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean all that much. All it means is that these wrestlers are popular among the hardcore fans who read magazines and take internet polls. It'd be like an American poll, and Nick Gage finishes twelfth. What does it mean, Rich? We all know Nick Gage isn't the 12th most popular wrestler in America. I mean, you know, at best, the guy can draw a thousand fans at a WrestleMania weekend. I mean, that, that's what you're, you know, so it's like Sonata can finish at the top of these polls all day long. And I'm not denying that he's not popular. Yeah, of course he's popular. But there's a difference between being popular and being a guy. I am not convinced that Sonata is a guy. Yeah, it just, sometimes it's a feel. You know, we, you've been watching wrestling a lot. I've been watching wrestling a lot. and, and I know and what I'm talking about. Rich. We're usually you know pretty on. Like, I don't think, you know, somebody asked me uh, as well, like, who were, you know, who were guys that you thought would be stars and, 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 and weren't? Guys that you thought had it and just don't. And and, and two of the answers that I gave, you know, in the, in the Q&A was T-Hawk was one that I thought the first time I saw T-Hawk, dude, this guy's got it. He's great. And Dragon Gate thought the same thing. They said, hey, here we go. Let's going to hot shot this guy. He's going to win the title. And and you and I came on the show. He, he you know, he, he main events that Kobe world or the Kobe world. We see it and we go, eh, nah, nah, not going to work. And, and it never worked. They tried. They tried. They tried. And now he's fucking around on, you know, Shima's iPad doing shit in Singapore and fucking DDT. I, I don't even know where the hell he's at these days. Doesn't even matter. It, it, it just, he's just jacking around doing nothing. And the other guy I mentioned was Sonata. I mean, the first time we I saw Sonata in Wrestle 1. He's a guy that looks, he projects as a star. You know what I mean? He looks like absolutely he should be a star. Look, look at the guy. He's, 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 and, and everybody falls into that trap as well. They fall into the, oh, he looks like a million bucks. He, he's got the body. He, he, he's, he's got the hair. He's got a good hair, a good fit. You know what I mean? He's got all these sort of intangibles that you need. But, you know, we've seen him. I mean, how long do we have to keep saying, like, you, you know, now I was wrong because I thought he had it. And I've been waiting for that it since then. And I haven't seen it. And, 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 you know, we have a pretty good track record. There's not a whole lot of other guys that I can think of that you and I have said, hey, this guy's going to be a star, and they haven't turned into a star. And, and I well, can tell you right now, it. I don't think Sonata's going to be a star. Like, I really just don't. I don't know. That's the thing about Sonata. I don't know whether we're right or wrong yet because he hasn't convinced me. And it's like nobody has more stock in wanting Sonata to become a big star than me because no one wants the victory lap at worst than me. I'm the one who came on here and told everybody right. that this guy would be a superstar by 2019. And that's when his push started. So I was kind of close. But it's like, I want to be right about Sonata. Rich, is, does anyone in this world like being right more than me? <laughs> no, <I> mean, <laughs> very few. <laughs> it's like, it's like I don't pick on Sonata because I don't like him. I, I was the original fucking Sonata backer. I was telling people in 2016 to what? You just said it. We were here in 2016 telling people, this is going to be a guy. And we took a ton of abuse for it. You remember people mocking us and subtweeting us and, you know, every time you'd have a sloppy match, we were hearing shit. We've got all those people blocked now. But the point here is we have a lot invested 
in Sonata becoming a guy. I'm frustrated by Sonata because I stuck my neck out predicting big success for this guy. And Rich, he's pretty close because that's the thing. I'm not saying he isn't over. But there's a difference between being over and being over. Yeah, being the and man. I don't think, being the dude. Being a dude. <laughs> I, yes. And I don't think he's the second one. Because in the old days in pro wrestling, when they said someone was over, that meant they were drawing money. It didn't mean people were excited to see him in the building. That's a different kind of over. Okay? Um, the woo-woo-woo guy was the first kind of over. What was it? Zack Ryder. Zack Ryder, yeah. He was the first kind of over. He was never the second kind of over. Okay, that's the difference. And I think Sonata is the first kind of over. He's not the Okada over. I don't care what your fan poll says. I don't care if Okada's three spots behind him in your dopey little fan poll of hardcore fans. Doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything in that. It does, because one guy's a guy, and the other guy is right now not a guy. And I don't know what he needs to get over that hump to become a Tanahashi, a Naito, an Okada, and fill buildings. Yeah. I don't know. I just really grab it by the balls. You know what I mean? Like that, that's, you know, watching this final and, and, and I guess we can talk about the final a little bit is, is, you know, yes, it's clap crowds. Yes. There's circumstances, but dude, I, I went back and, you know, for the grade one series on, on Patreon, voice wrestling.com slash Patreon. Uh, I'm watching a lot of these old G1 finals and it's like, that's, that's, you know, once you've gotten to the final, then it's like, let's fucking go. The, every match that I've watched, both guys are all yes. business. They're, they're staring at, you know, one thing I, was, I, I talked about in all of those is, like, one thing I really noticed, and, and it must be a thing that they told guys to do. I, I, I don't know if it was completely accident. I don't know what it is. But when guys would make their entrance, the other guy in the ring would never take his eyes off the other guy. He didn't want that guy to have a second to, 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 to pounce on him. You know what I mean? They didn't want to say, you didn't want to give this guy an inch. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to keep my eye on you the entire time. The bell would ring. Nobody went at each other right away because they would stare at each other and say, okay, no, you make the first move. You know what I mean? Like there was this, there was just this desire to, I want to win this thing so badly and prove that I am the best wrestler in the world, that I am the best, that I am the G1 champion or whatever. And you watch these matches and these guys just grab these matches by the balls, man. Every single one of them was just like, Everyone was good. Everybody wanted to be, win so badly. And then there's Sonata and Ibushi, and they're just kind of, you know, just doing stuff. And they're just, you know, Sonata's just kind of doing grappling, and he's doing, you know, things, and he's in the ring, and he's he's rolling around, and it's just like, dude, come on, like, let's go, G1, grade one, let's go. Like, let's get some action going. And, 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 and you know, we, so we saw the tweets, oh, wow, I can't believe this match went 30 minutes. And I don't think that's a good thing. People see that as a good thing. I think it's a bad thing. That you got lulled into thirty minutes, like that sucks. I don't want to. I don't want to be lulled yeah. into a thirty, you know, thirty minute match. <laughs> like that doesn't. That doesn't excite me. Wow, I can't believe it's already been thirty minutes. Like no, fuck it. I want to say, oh my god, they did all that in thirty minutes. Holy shit! Like you know that that's the that's what I want, and that's what you know we need. We don't need a guy just kind of getting in there and meandering around for a little bit. It's like you know who cares? I mean, it's. I liked the match. I don't want to. No, it was a but, it was but, a good match. It's just it wasn't a great G one match. You, you know, like it, it, no, I, it wasn't. It wasn't a great G one final for sure. I look, it was low end notebook to me, but it was all the things that plagued Sonata. There were three or four of what I call Sonata spots where the match gets sloppy because of Sonata, because he's the most awkward good athlete I've ever seen in my life, and I mean even the closing stretch which people are raving about. There was a major blown spot in that closing stretch. 
Abushi picked up Sonata for the dart spot. And look, I don't know if he was going to complete it or if it was going to get countered. Who knows? We're never going to know. You know why? Because Sonata blew the spot before it happened. And then Abushi didn't even go back to it. Did you notice that? Like they, whatever they were going to do with that dart spot was completely eliminated from the closing sequence because Abushi was like, "Fuck this! This guy is clumsy. I can't even <laughs> right, do whatever." Right, right. We're, you know, it, it's like, and there were a couple other spots in the match where you know Sonata very early in the match where it actually worked out okay, only because the visual looked good, but there was miscommunication on like some sort of leapfrog spot where. Abushi went low and Sonata went high and it actually looked cool and it looked like Sonata was evading him. But there was, that was another little flub early on in the match. It's like these things always happen in these Sonata matches. And you could tell me till I'm blue in the till you're blue in the face that the Japanese fans don't care or whatever. They're not so much different than American fans. They re, they respect good performance. Stop treating Japanese fans like they're this different exotic thing. They're they're fans. They know a bad match when they see it. They know when a guy stinks, if he stinks. Okay, they, they they can tell the difference between a great wrestler and a lousy wrestler. And I'm sorry, I think performance matters. And that's a big – that's holding Sonata back to some extent. And and the thing that you're talking about, Rich, he doesn't grab the match by the fucking throat. This is the biggest match of your life. Wrestle like it. Right, I get he's cold skull. I get he's, you know, cool, calm, collected, but it's the fucking G1 final. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let's go. You, you know, you need that. You need to be able to ramp it up. I mean, that, that's one thing that all, I think, great wrestlers do. And we're talking about, you know, matches at the before. The, these famous matches that, that you know, we haven't seen or whatever. And, and the thing that's pretty universal about famous matches or great matches or important matches or whatever is... That intensity, that that level of, all right, yeah, you know, we've we've maybe wrestled before, but we've never wrestled with these stakes. Or, yeah, I've had main events, but never this type of main event, never something that was this important. And and that's, you know, you don't have to if you do that all the time, it becomes, you know, commonplace. You don't want to do that every single night. You want to reserve those for those big moments. But bro, there's nothing there's not a bigger moment that you're gonna have in your career right now than this G1 climax final, and he's just just cool, calm, collected. I'm going through the motions, doing my thing, and it's like I, I just need you know more what? out of no, you. He's not even, he's not even cool, calm, and collected. There's something to be said to being cool, calm, and collected. He's just emotionless. Yeah. He's just there. Yeah, it's just a void. Yeah, at it's times. just, and and it never changes. It doesn't matter if it's night three against Juice Robinson or the final against Kota Ibushi. And it's like he's missing that thing, and he is not. He's not charismatic enough to overcome not having any emotion. He's not Masawa. He's not. Whatever your fan polls are telling you, he's not Masawa. He can't get away with just being the stoic guy who has no emotion. He's not charismatic enough to pull that off. He's not good enough to pull that off. Right. Yeah, Naito's a guy. Naito's a guy who could play that perfect. I mean, Naito Naito, can can do that. Right. He he plays the oh, I'm you know I don't care, tranquilo, all that sort of stuff. But when it's a big moment, it's a big moment, and he treats it like a big moment. And he's a fucking incredible pro wrestler. So even if he is doing the hey, you know, I'm just chilling, I'm doing whatever. But it's not even true. It's it's a that is he lulls you in with the I don't care, I'm just kind of fucking around thing. And then boom, he's he's in a Stardust Press and a Destino out of nowhere. Boom, 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 boom. You know what I mean? Like that. That's all just a ploy. Where Sonata, that is the thing. It's just like. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just you know, yeah, wh- whatever. Like that could be your th- people can really, but yeah, it's never going to attract me. It's never going to hit. It's never going to land with me ever. I, I don't that, know. That's I not the wrestlers that I love. That's not the athletes I love. It's not the the actors. I, I mean, I want I want you to draw me in. I want you to make me root for you. I want you to to to, to get me excited and get me hyped up and get me ready to go. And 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 he's just not going to do that. I, if he didn't do it in this G one final, which again, decent enough match. 
okay match, good, you know, a good match. If, but he didn't get it to that level. He didn't make it feel like it was that level. And I'm not putting this on Kota Bushi, a man who's had a you know, decade plus of incredible matches. I, I, I look at Sonata and I go, well, how, why was this thing you know, not to that level? Why, why was this a little bit meandering at times? Why was this only a low-end notebook when it's a G1 fucking final? You, you know, that, that's, you, you expect, and, and, and really, we don't need, we should, it's not even an expect. It needs to be better than it was, and it, it just wasn't. So. It's, 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 it wasn't even just the final. It was the whole tournament. Right, right. It's not like he, he proved you, you know, the entire you know, tournament he, that he was ready to go. And, yeah, it just, just kind of. He had a great match with Tanahashi where I'm fairly certain I could have a three-star match with Tanahashi. <laughs> yeah. And it's like towards the back end. And then he had an, a, 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 a pretty good final that didn't meet the standard of the usual G1 final of the past few years. And. I don't see how his tournament could be chalked up as anything but a disappointment. And the thing about it is it was served up on a platter for him to come off like a major star on the rise. That was that was how it was set up. Like the intent here was for you to come out of this thinking this is the next guy. And despite that, he limped through the whole thing and had a very disappointing tournament. Um, so, uh, you know, who knows with him, but – I'm sure they have plans for him, and they're going to stick to it. They typically stick to their plans. You know, when the AJ Styles thing didn't work right away, they stuck to the plan. That's the point of reference I always use. So, and I don't know if they necessarily even think that the Snada thing's not working. I don't know what their plans are. Maybe they don't. Maybe he the, the intent isn't for him to be the true top guy. I doubt that it is. I mean, how could it be? But. Even just to get to that next level, I just – that's – something's missing there. But anyway, that's the final match, and that's Sonata, and that was kind of um, what I wrote about behind the paywall concerning – I believe we're in a new era right now. I think we're already in it, um, and we're in the midst of it, and it's exciting because you know we don't know who or, or what is coming next for a lot of these guys, and um, – you know, it's it's it's. I think that there's going to be more reshuffling, both in terms of of pieces moving around, and just uh, you know, new slotting taking place yeah. as well. So, um, did you want to talk about the other two sumo hall nights quickly? Yeah, uh, if you if do you do you care to go back to those? I mean, I can if you want, but uh, you've probably talked about them enough, and they feel like they're a thousand years ago. I mean, if you want, I'll talk about them. It, it's cool, but. I figure I mean, you're, you're kind of burnt out on, on G1 discussions, so. Well, we you know we don't have to do like necessarily match reviews, but just the big picture stuff that we're doing. But I mean, I feel like you know night 17 was just a beautiful story from start to finish, and and a great night and a very memorable one. I mean, they they did the Ujiro upset over Cobb right out of the gate. Yeah, I you know I, I was I believe it was I, I think it was John Carroll I, I was talking to Wrestling Omakase patreoncom Omakase as well. And John and I were talking about how energized we were after this show. It was just yeah. like, like you said, kind of the new era thing. It was like, man, we got like, you know, there's a lot of direction. I mean, this one night set up like three or four different directions, clinched your G1, got you ready for a new unit. Like you had big upsets. You had big, like, it just felt like this, this monumental night where a lot of shit happened. You know, you know what I mean? Like it just, it, it re-energized me into New Japan. 
where, where it had been getting a lull. You know, I had been getting a little bit of a lull, and I was kind of ready for the G1 to end, and I'm kind of ready to just go, eh, whatever, New Japan. And this was like, all right, let's go. Like, you know, big-time matches. We got Shingo beating Minoru. He's moving on. He's going to get a never title shot. Will's breaking free of Okada. We got a new unit here. Okarn has, has, has joined. Kotobushi, you know, shocks the world and enters the G1 finals. And, you know, Jay White, you know, you, you could tell that that's fracturing even further as, you know, Gator's interference doesn't help him. And then Tomohiro motherfucking Ishii wins the goddamn match, and, and he should have just gotten the G1 trophy they should just give it to him you know what i mean like it was it was a really energizing show that got you really excited about whatever this new era or the, or the, the next few months of new japan for wrestling whichever whichever if you want to look big picture or small picture you know what i mean like there there, there was just so much coming out of that night that, that was really exciting and fun yeah and it just told match by match the story it was like one long continuous story it was just one of those nights in the g1 that just everything clicks and the stories they're trying to get across just, uh, you know, starting with the big upset, which kept Osprey alive. And then, you know, Shingo and Suzuki again, you know, it's like we f- kind of forgot that those guys are feuding over the Never title, you know, and um, that continues on. And, and then, you know, like we talked about last week where I spent a whole week just fascinated with why Jeff Cobb beat Will Ospreay and trying to figure out why they would do that and why that was a red flag. And eventually, you know, I worked it out. We talked about it last week. It just it meant that Osprey had to be beating Okada. There was no other explanation. And that's exactly what they did. But they had to beat Osprey the night before to ensure that Jay White was alive going into his match. So it all worked out, you know, and, and Will Ospreay did beat Okada. But what we didn't see coming, even though we figured out that he was going to win, we didn't see the turn coming. Oh, speak for yourself. I knew O'Karn no. was coming in. You know, I knew Bia Priestley and Great O'Karn were coming in to help him. Come on. Well, everyone but Rich. Yeah, I knew it. I'm just, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 you know, that's a big moment. And I, you know, it, are you a little disappointed that they burned off his win over Okada in that fashion? Let me ask you that. I would be if it was just Will Ospreay just out wrestled Okada and beat him, but with the interference. With a turn, I'm not. You, you know, like to me, it's even it stings even a little bit more, and stings in a good way. We were like, this asshole couldn't do it on his own. You, you know what I mean? The, he, he needed the help because he probably knew he couldn't do it, that he couldn't beat Okada, and he stifles Okada while Okada's trying to kind of re- figure things out and, and and get back on track and get his new. Like to me, I almost like that. That's the heat to me is that he did it, and he did it via cheating, and he did it just on the G1. Yeah, yeah, no, I. I- because if he just went out there and, and, and hit an os cutter and just beat him in the middle of the ring, I, I'd be right with you. I'd say, yeah, yeah it kind of stinks. But and I, I think being third from the top helps too in that it didn't – like if they were in a big main event match and they did this angle and they did the turn, then it might rub the wrong way a little more too because it's like it, – but this was like third from the top and we didn't – we thought it was a little weird that Ospreay might beat him third from the top. But if you do it like this – do you kind of see where I'm going with that? It's almost like it 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 makes the interference and the turn more palatable with the big with finally getting the big win because of the card positioning and everything else. Whereas I think you don't want to spoil if it was like the main event at Dominion or something. Maybe you don't want to spoil the big win that way. Am I making any sense? You are. I, I did you did you put a bet on the uh, the Biden calling Trump uh, malarkey? Why did he call him? He uh, did. He just did. He just said malarkey said to something. Malarkey. Yeah. 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 See, if you would have done that on mybookie.ag, promo code VOW, you'd be a millionaire right now. I might I, have a couple bucks on that. Yeah. Okay, you'll have to see. So you, you you might be a millionaire now. So Yeah. Um. 
so yeah, so we had Osprey uh, and the big turn. Um, what was going to be my other question to you in regards to that? Oh, here is my one concern with the Osprey turn and the formation of his of a new faction. They're going to be heels. Do we really need more cheating in New Japan? Because no. if this be <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of rhetorical, but it's like. Do you get the sense that this is going to be another unit where we're waiting around for Okarn to interfere on Willow Spray's behalf and then we hit the finish? Because I cannot tolerate another unit where it's built around cheating. And you know that's their MO and that's what they love to do. So, and look, we saw kind of um, on the G1 final, right? Where he put on the figure four after B Priestley got involved and and uh, weakened up Show's leg and then he puts the figure four on and establishes the figure four now as a finish. Right. But again, the interference. Rich, I do not want. I'm tired of this shit. Yeah, that that is definitely a concern. And yeah, the the, the unit being established by Okarn coming in and directly leading to the finish is, is definitely got me slightly worried. Especially, yeah, they, they lean on that far too much. And now more than ever, they've leaned on it. Way too much with, with with you know with evil joining Bullet Club with Suzuki Goon who, who they have I mean to be to be fair they have they have peeled back a little bit Suzuki Goon they're not quite as cheating you know heavy as they used to be but now if we're just getting you know it replaced by the Empire who's going to come in yeah it, it's it's due time and and that's why I've said I think it's time for some other units to maybe get a you know maybe get reshuffled redone or just kind of taken away altogether like Suzuki Goon to me feels like you know, probably of, of another era and that could probably go away. Like I would really look if you're, if you're going to enter you know, we're going to have another sort of cheating heel stable stable, then it is probably time for, you know, one of these other ones to take a backseat or just go away altogether. All so I think it would be bullet club before Suzuki. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. They, but, they've leaned on bullet club so much though. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like impossible for me to believe that they're just going to officially, you know, say, ah, it's all gone. It's all, you know, going away or whatever. I'm just trying to throw out anybody. Just a kind of a different incarnation of it or something. Right. But it's like, yeah. Yeah. You feel like the units, it's all sliding scale from, you know, you got the home army, which is pure baby face. And then at the other end of the scale, you always have the unit that cheats the most, which is the pure heels. Right at times that's been bullet club at times that's been Suzuki gun throughout history. Then you have the ones in the middle, you know, like recently chaos has been kind of, um, you know, just to say the rights of the home army as not necessarily pure baby fate, but then they kind of merged chaos in the home army. And now LIJ are firmly baby faces sort of in that old chaos spot. And Suzuki gun has kind of moved into the old LIJ spot of the tweeners that can go either yeah, way. Yeah. And Bullock, and we don't know where the Empire is going to fall in, but Bullet Club are still pure cheaters, and they kind of slide up and down the scale. There's different degrees. The units have always been that way, right? With the heel leaning tweeners and the face leaning tweeners, and then the pure heels and the pure baby faces. And I don't know where Empire is going to fall in. I don't like that their very first match out of the gate, we're getting an outside interference finish. New Japan already has too much of this shit. Um, and no, I'm not asking it to be pure sport. Never have. But there's too much of it right now. And I think all of this needs to get settled and we need to see where this is all going to fall. Um, Rich, do you have a problem with the name The Empire? Is it problematic? No, I don't care. 
mean, give me a break. I, I, pe- don't people get bored with this stuff after I would. a while? Yeah, it seems like I would I just, mean, she, you know, it's got to watch something else. Then, honestly, it's gonna how exhausting you. is this? I mean, geez, I'm sure people from 1860 are deeply offended at this, at this, the Empire name. Um, so that's that. Um, uh, so do you want to talk about, oh, the, the B block final? That was just a waste of That was a show as well. That was, um, that was definitely um, a show that happened. So, and then the final itself. I mean, again, you know, the big things where we got the first look at uh, at Okan in a new back in a new Japan ring. I mean, a slightly altered look from his Rev Pro look. Um, you know, a different different facial hair and 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 haircut. I think he looks better. I think he looks like a million bucks. Oh yeah, no, he looks great. Yeah, you know, you compare him to like Watto, who they're clearly like, you know what I mean? Like, there's one guy that they think is going to be a future star or could be a future star, or could be something. And then there's Master Watto, which is clear that they like just are like, yeah, here you go. <laughs> but uh, no, no, I think he looks he looks great. I think there was a lot of kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge silliness to the Rev Pro character that, that little by little got kind of stripped away uh, over time, and I think got on track and was was pretty okay. But no, I think he looks great. I think he looks awesome. He looks like a badass. He looks like a heater. Like yeah, I I think it's perfect, perfect for this. He team. looks so much better without the gnarly beard and messy yes. hair. Yes, oh, hundred percent. Yeah, that that was kind of geeky, lame, yeah. weird. Look how funny this guy looks type thing. That's all gone now. He 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 looks real good. Streamlined, and he looks like a star. I mean, that that's basically what it comes down to now. Um, and, and look, yeah, it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing at first in RevPro. And, but that's why you go on excursion, to work those things out. you know. And, and he worked out the gimmick, and he came back a refined version of it. I love the screaming that he does in the ring. It, it, it comes off totally unique. The one-legged drop kick. Um, he does a lot of shit that's just different. And, you know, I think that's a good thing. So... I'm all about that guy right now, but I was all about him while he was on the, you know, so I'm coming in a little biased, but, um, you know, I thought that was the most interesting match on the undercard of the, uh, of the G1 final. And we already talked about the final itself. So that's kind of your, uh, G1 wrap up. I just think overall, you know, it wasn't as strong of a tournament as the past couple of years. I don't think it peaked as high as often as some of the other tournaments did, you can attribute the clap crowds to that to some extent. Um, and I think that clearly it wasn't as physical as it's been in the past. My personal opinion is you will see new Japan be a little less physical moving forward. I, I, I really don't think that's a product of, of, of COVID. I think, I think the company's just changing. I just, you know, that have I've rich. I've seen this many times. I, I you know, I just, you know, things don't stay the same forever. And I think that um, I even think the in-ring style is, is shifting a bit uh, to being slightly less physical. That doesn't mean I don't think Ishii is going to go out there and, and bash. Of course he will. That doesn't mean I think you're never, never going to see head drops again. Of course you will. But I just don't think it's going to be as prominent as it was uh, over the last seven or eight years or so. I think it's changing a little bit. And I think we're going to see things shuffle around. And New Japan just feels a little different now. It just feels different. I mean, you know, and 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 I think it really all started back in January. And I think, you know, if it weren't for COVID shutting the company down for a few months, we'd be all much more used to it by now. Right. But um, I really feel like, we're, you know, we're starting something new, and it's exciting to see where it goes. Um, you know, I just, I just wish they'd. 
cut down on some of the outside stuff. I, I don't know. It's just that the evil matches to me are, are one step away from being completely intolerable. I mean, it's just it's it's terrible. It's awful. Yeah, and now it, we it have, is... to have another evil Naito main event. I right. mean, I guess we'll yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Power Struggle in a bit. My my final thought on on, on G one was really. You know, more than anything, I think I was encouraged by what I saw in the A block and encouraged what I saw of the B block matches that weren't bullshit, you know, that weren't filled with bullshit, is that, you know, it to me was like, okay, despite the fact we got the clap crowds, despite the, this, this is not a G1 that I remember for being an all-time bad G1 or a G1 that I was, like, I was, I was into this G1. I liked this G1. I enjoyed a lot of the matches that I saw, uh, you know, and I didn't, initially when the idea of the G1 was coming with these weird crowds, I was just like, ah, damn, like, this is going to stink because it's just... It's it's just not fun because these crowds stink and the wrestlers like New Japan. I, I wasn't seeing great matches from New Japan. It, you know what I mean? Like it was it felt like so long ago that we were getting those you know top tier New Japan matches. And then I saw the G One. I was like, okay, no. When when the top guys are in there and they're motivated and they want to, those guys can have great matches. And and that's that's good. Like it let me know that you know despite the clap crowds, despite whatever, that when they want to bring it, they can bring it. But at the same time, like you said, there was those B block matches too that made me think, oh God, if we get more of this, like this is just not a company that I am as invested in. You, you know, and there's maybe people that love those type of matches and love these sort of storylines and love this interference and love that sort of stuff and love this heat and, and, and whatnot. And I, dude, I just want a lot. I, I, it, to me, I want more of the A block, less of the B block. But overall, I was encouraged by, by what I saw with the G1. It's just, like you said, I, I am a little, I'm a little worried, especially with some of the top guys, you know, what, 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 the rest of the year is going to look like with them and and, and, and what the style is going to be of New Japan. Because I think we really did see two distinctive styles in, in both the A block and the B block. So, All right, so let's talk about Power Struggle. Oh, uh, hold on now. Hold on now. I got I, Did we, though, or was it just that one block had all the good wrestlers? I mean, can we be honest about this? Was it really different styles? I mean, different styles in that one block was let's ha- have good wrestlers have good matches, and the other block was let's fuck around and have a bunch of interference and long, boring matches is, you know. I mean, whether you want to say that's good versus bad, I I guess, but I just think one block had more good wrestlers than the other block. I mean, when one block has Abushi, Shingo, Ishii, Okada, Jay White, Willow Spray, and um, Suzuki, I mean, I'm almost forgetting guys. And and the other block has, okay, Naito, Tanahashi, Zack Sabre Jr., and I'm running out of names. Like, that's the difference. I, I think this idea that the blocks had different styles of wrestling is a very overtalked point. And honestly, I think it's complete bullshit. I think one block had more good wrestlers than the other. And then one block smoked the other in match quality as a result. I really think it's as simple as that. And I think there were a lot of excuses being made for the B block when really all it comes down to is Kenta, Juice Robinson, Evil, Yano, Sonata just aren't as good right. as the guys that were in the A block. I mean, and I don't know why people can't just say that. I mean, we have to twist yourself into a pretzel to convince yourself, oh, well, it's different. Ma-. No, it's not. It's all the same company. They're all having the same matches. Outside of Yano, they're all having the same fucking matches, okay? And maybe Zack Sabre Jr. Everyone else wrestles the same. Let's stop, stop pretending, okay, that, that it was anything more then the A block had more good wrestlers than the B block. There was this weird culture war going on the whole time during the G1, okay? Because people got to pick sides before these matches even happen and decide what they like or don't like. And I'm sorry, that's what most of these clowns do. And then it's just you have to craft an argument around the narrative that you've already created. Here's what happened in the G1, okay? 
and why no matter where you go, grapple, cage match, people's reviews, no matter where you go, the A block smoked the B block. That's actually a good a point. That, that's that, that. Let me. We had we had the folks at Grapple sent us over some really cool stuff. Let me actually grab yeah. those right now. So the why, A why block had had all the good wrestlers, and the B block had the lousy. Right? Can we just fucking say it? Okay. And yeah, maybe you fringe person prefers watching Juice Robinson or fucking Sonata, but okay, you're entitled to that opinion. But most people. In most people's eyes, the A block just had better wrestlers. That's it. I don't. I didn't see some drastic difference in style. I just saw good wrestlers having great matches and mediocre wrestlers having mediocre matches. That's what I saw. I didn't see Kenta going out there working fucking some uh, different fucking style than Shingo was working. Shingo's just better than Kenta. That, I mean, come on. Okay, Evil's matches fucking stink because they're loaded with Dick Togo bullshit. That's what it comes down to. And Will Ospreay's matches are good because he's fucking Will Ospreay. Okay, stop making shit like these fake narratives. It's bullshit. God, that annoyed me. It's, it's just, it, it's, it's, you know, we knew when the thing started that the A block was loaded. And then it played out exactly how everybody expected. Where by the end, people just, they, they were tapping out on these B block shows. Because they were the same goddamn thing every night because it had the shittier wrestlers in it. I mean, geez, can we just be honest for once? Man, I wasn't expecting to go on this <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Here we are. Uh, so our friends at Grapple sent us some uh, G1 uh, Climax 30 by the numbers. So it's pretty interesting stuff I'll, 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 I'll jot down here. We, we tweeted it out as well, so you can find it on our Twitter account. But uh, some stuff, overall match averages. Uh, this is through the Grapple app. Uh, 2020, 3.38. Uh, is the overall match average. Uh, 2019, last year's G1, 3.58. So a, a, a 0.2 uh, fall in terms of average match rating. Well, that's enormous when you're talking about you're Right, the margins are, are pretty big. Yeah, they, they have a graph here that, like, I mean, it, it, it's it's large. It's a big, big, big gap. Uh, this is a great way to look at it, the, the gap as well. One match, one match rated 4.5 stars in, uh, in, in 2020. Eight matches with an average of 4.5 stars last year. So, yeah, we're talking a huge gap there. Seven match difference in terms of of high-end matches. Uh, 16 matches rated four stars or better in 2020. 28 matches rated four star or better uh, in, in, in 2019. And uh, the G1 final, like we mentioned, uh, Kotobuchi and Sonata, 4.07 uh, as of when this graphic was made. Uh, last year, 2019, 4.6. Abushi and Tanahashi in 2018, 4.8. Uh, Omega and Naito, 4.8. Uh, Omega versus Goto from the year prior, 4.7. So, yeah, another huge gap in terms of uh, of that final. Uh, to your point here, uh, based off 24,420 total ratings across 91 matches, uh, top 10 matches. Okada and Shingo from day 13, A block, 4.53. So that is the highest rated one so far. Uh, number two, Naito and Tanahashi from the B block. That is going to be your only B block match in this entire top 10, by the way. So it speaks uh, definitely to your point at 4.41 for that. Uh, Abushi and Suzuki, 4.37. Osprey and Takagi, uh, 4.36. Ishii and White, 4.3. Abushi and uh, Ishii, 4.3. Abushi and Takagi, 4.2. Ishii and Takagi, 4.2. Ishii and Suzuki, 4.2. Ishii and Osprey, 4.1. So again, speaks to your average that there are just uh, <laughs> you know a lot of top tier guys. And this is probably is the best way to do it. Uh, B block average based off grapple, a 3.6. Six one for the A block, three point one four for the B block. I mean that is that is a pretty big difference there between A block and B block with with a four the three point six to a three point one. And um, Tomoroishi is your MVP via grapple. He had a uh, 
Uh, exactly, and they they do it. They do an excluding Yano and Yujiro thing, which is I, I I get why they would do that. I get that for Yano. I don't know if you have to exclude Yujiro this year uh, as well, but if we include those two guys, Tomoro Ishii four point oh six, uh, Kotobushi three point nine, Shingo Takagi three point eight, Will Ospreay three point eight. Jay White, 3.6. I mean, you got to go pretty far until you find a B-block guy <laughs> in these lists. Uh, 3.6 for Okada. 3.6 again for, for for Naito. So Naito right there with Okada. Minoru Suzuki, 3.5. And Taichi, 3.5 uh, as well. So um, MVP, Tomoru Ishii, which, you know, I, I think, uh, I, I you know, I'd, I'd probably agree. Did you, I, I know in your in your piece you put it down, but who, 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 to you, who was your definitive MVP of the G1? I gave it to Ishii yeah. in my piece. Um, the matches were just too good. And then when you have the final, the oh, block I think he final, sealed it. yeah, he sealed it with that A block final to me. Yeah, as a you know, it's just emotional and it's pure Ishii. Even in his greatest moments, okay, someone else benefits more than he does, and that's just the essence of Ishii. Yeah, he wins the biggest match. He you know he's headlining in Sumo Hall. He never has before. One of the biggest matches of his life. He upsets the overconfident and cocky Jay White. It was a just a brilliant story. Jay White chokes it away. Ishii, early in the match, stands up to him and doesn't take his shit and delivers that forearm shot to the face, which set the tone for the rest of the match. And then he wins, and it's the moment is for someone else. It's for Ibushi. It's not even for him. And that's just so Ishii. So... It has to be him. It can't be anyone else. Yeah, I think he sealed it. Even if you had a question of who it was, I think that final night sealed it. It was I mean, just so emotional and so a, perfect. It, yeah. I guess it could be a Bushi if you factor in the final and the fact that he won. I can't kill anybody for picking a Bushi because he had a great tournament too. I think I had him second. I don't even remember. Yeah, I had him second. But, um, you know, I, I really don't see an argument for anyone other than those two. I mean, do you? Let me think about this. I don't. Shingo uh, on the back end. Uh, you you mentioned he having so many. No, I had actually I had a Bushi fifth. Um, but I can see people picking him as the MVP. I guess you could pick Jay White. Yeah, I think I, you could pick Jay White. To me, it, it mean, was between Shingo and, and, and Ishii, and then that final just sealed the deal for Ishii for me. Are you going just purely on match quality? I think so. I mean, I'm, I'm putting a little bit of story in there too. I, I think Okada, to me, it's hard to make him the MVP. I mean, I think he told a good story, but there were it's it, to me there was enough matches there that I didn't love, and they were like on purpose, kind of weird and stuff. Like in terms of like telling a story throughout the entire you know month long G1 or whatever. Yeah, it, it it's definitely Okada. I mean, Okada's the MVP in terms of telling that story or whatnot. But if I would I lie if I was saying I enjoyed his matches more than I enjoyed Ishii's matches, I I would be. I, I enjoyed Ishii's matches way more than I did, and and it was like. It was really cool to see Ishii against all those different guys, and and yeah, he has kind of a he has kind of a, a similar style in a lot of his matches, and, and and most people end up having to wrestle kind of a Tomohiro Ishii match. But I think he just lulls you in so much, and you just end up loving it so much. We always talk about the Ishii vortex, where you're just you're just fucking you're on your feet rooting for him. You just want the guy to win so badly, and that's where I was almost the entire tournament with him. And then in that final, it was just like, oh yeah, dude, this guy's so far so far ahead uh, uh, of everybody else in this G one. So I, I think he was pretty clearly my my, my, my pick. So. I couldn't get Shingo any higher than sixth just because of how inconsequential he was to the the big picture. But he was great. He was fucking great, especially in that Okada match. I don't know if anybody wrestled a better match than he wrestled against Okada. I'll say that. 
and Ibushi, I think, you know, Okada, I had fourth, which sound would sound crazy after the first couple nights, but I mean, he told the best story and you know, his work, when you factor everything in, you know, that's the word I gave him masterful. That was the word I gave him. He was masterful. And then there's Jay White and I had Ospreay second, actually, because I think, you know, the turn had all that impact. And he wrestled great the whole tournament. But, it, you know, to me it was Ishii because the matches were just so funny. He's just, yeah, he's great. The guy's the best. I mean, it, you know, I, I mean, I already gave it away on behind the paywall, but I, I, I voted him for the Hall of Fame this year. I, it's just, I'm tired of pretending that what he's doing isn't incredibly special. It's we're going on like eight years of this where you could argue he's the best wrestler in the world. You know, it's it's just he's he's so good at stupid. It's it, he's you know, like I wrote in a piece, he's just he's undeniable. Yeah, this guy's great. All right, let's quickly look at this uh, Power Struggle show, then we'll get to our final two topics of the day. November 7th, uh, Osaka, Japan for Power Struggle 2020. We have six matches right now, which, God, I really, I know that it's not going to continue. I know that these six-match shows are not going to continue. The G1 being a Young Lion match and just, you know, just the block. I know those aren't going to continue, but God damn, I love these cards. They're so good. Like, it's just, you know, none of the bullshit. In and out in two and a half hours, three hours, like, dude, six matches, all singles matches. Like, I fucking, I love, I love this format of cards, and I know it's not going to continue. I know it's not going to happen, but maybe we'll, you know. Oh, you mean, the G, like, the G1 layout this year? The G1 layout and the Power Struggle layout. We have six matches for this G yeah. Power Struggle, and that's it, and they're all singles matches. It's like, yes, let's go. You know, they're trying I would to. Love the G, I, I would love the G1 to keep that layout forever. But they're not. They're, they're not. not gonna no, do like, it. we'll go back to the six mans. But uh, anyway, here here are the matches for Power Struggle: Toro Yano versus Zack Saber Jr. for the provisional KOPW Championship. So Zack Saber Jr. has a chance to uh, win the very prestigious uh, KOPW yeah, Championship. Whatever. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Minoru Suzuki versus Shingo. Cannot wait. Never open weight championship. Okada, yeah. great. Their, oh, their oh sorry. Go match ahead. Match was better. Their first match was better than the G one match, but. Um, you know, yeah, the, the, you know, this is going to be at minimum very good. And like you always like to point out in Osaka too, which will be a cool, you know, always a cool moment uh, yeah. there. So uh, Okada versus Great Okarn, just a straight up singles grudge match there, which I, I, I'm into. I love that idea. To me, Okarn beats him, right? You got to beat him, right? Well, that's an interesting match because we'll see right away the early slotting of Okan. Okay. If he beats Okada, then okay. All right. Well, right out of the gate, he's no pin eater. Right. Okay. But I could see Okada beating him. I mean, because the big match here is obviously Okada Osprey. It's not a, so a very intriguing match because it's going to tell us a lot about what they think of Okan right this second. Uh, then we have Kenta Hiroshi Tanahashi for the uh, U.S. Championship Challenge Rights Certificate. They are not giving up on this thing somehow, some way. They are going to find a way to get that title out of, of John Moxley. Um, I guess Kenta, because I guess Kenta can maybe come to America. Like, there, I don't, dude. Who knows with this? I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but like, Moxley can't wrestle in America, so they might just have. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Somebody asked me that too, on and the Q and A's. Like, how do you get the title off of Moxley? And I just think you just strip. You know, what I, like how long are we going to jack well, around with this thing? Like, all right. Well, here's the thing. Do we have to get it off? And, and that's well. That was the second point. Is like, does this title even matter anymore? 
And I would have told you that. And then when they announced that this was, you know, a match for the challenge right certificate, I'm thinking, why even bother? Just, just if I'm New Japan, I just ignore it. This title even exists until COVID's over. And okay, when it's well, over, can't... you can say, yeah, okay, here you go. Like, yeah, but I mean, it's like, can't the title matter and also be on ice because everyone knows that we're in a very weird circumstance? I don't, I don't think this is a big deal. I, I, I don't know. I'm not wound up about this. I think when Moxley can wrestle, he can wrestle. I don't think you strip him. I don't think you concern yourself with it. I think people think Tanahashi's the favorite here because Tanahashi Moxley, a potential match at Wrestle Kingdom is a, it would be a Wrestle Kingdom caliber match, right? So to get that briefcase to Japan, you have Kenta win it in America, get it to Japan, and then get it on Tanahashi. So I kind of get that. With that said, Kenta is pushed harder than people think. And Tanahashi is not pushed as hard as people think. You're right. Yeah, not anymore. So it kind of makes the match interesting from that perspective because I think people don't give credit to how hard Kenta gets pushed. They see him as just this kind of mid-carder. He just beat Naito. He just beat Naito. And he finished two points behind the leaders in his block. And I know people don't realize that because it felt like he got eliminated a million years ago. From, from the block, but he ended up finishing only two points behind and he beat the champ. And he just ended a feud with the champion before COVID ended everything. You know, so I wouldn't write off Kenta here. I think everyone seems to think this is a lock that Tanahashi wins. I don't think it's a lock. Yeah, I, I, I see Kenta as well. And I think, to me, I think that there's probably more of potential for if you want to do it where Kenta goes to the America to win the title. Like to me, I'm trying to think of, of, of the big picture of this here's title. The, here's the problem though. Tony Khan is the problem, and he has way more leverage now than he had then. So why right, would he right, let, right, right. So what what why would he let Moxley wrestle in America now if he wouldn't then? I don't know. When, yeah. I mean, I, I guess maybe Moxley saying, Hey, please let me do this, or New Japan saying, Hey, we need to get this title off this guy. I don't know. To me, it, it just seems here's one guy that has been to America recently and has been able to bounce back and forth. I, I don't know if he still has a home in America. I have no idea what the state of, or where Kenta, you know, his address is these days, but obviously at the beginning of this court, you know, quarantine, he was in America. So at least he has something. I think that he could like Tanahashi. I don't think is leaving the country. I, I and, and, and I don't think Moxley, I, I guess I, I don't know right now. Moxley's not leaving the country anytime soon either uh, to come to Japan. So I, I don't know, but I'm trying to think big picture with this thing. And it's like, who knows, man, might just I be think, a match to be a match, and then the guy wins, and this might not even be a thing until six months from now. So who knows? I don't think it's out of the question you get Americans in Japan in January. I mean, <laughs> they've opened up for these foreigners already, though. Yeah, that was in you know that was in the summer though. Things were a little bit brighter in you know July. Than- no, I understand it could get worse. Look, the COVID can change on a dime. I mean, I'm just talking right this like how I feel right now. They've already loosened up. New Japan has shown that they can get people in. Right. Do I think they get Moxley in next week? No. Would I be stunned if they get him in in January? No. Unless things change drastically again, which they could. We're heading into the winter and everything else. Everyone seems to be way too lackadaisical again. I get it. But if Tony Khan wasn't going to let Moxley wrestle for New Japan back when it would have been very advantageous for him to be more generous with what he was going to allow – I don't see how he, why he would allow it now when he has far more leverage now that they're far more firmly established. They don't need New Japan. What's his incentive to say, 
okay, I'm going to let my world champion, by the way. Right, lose lose a match to, you know, <laughs> your I'm guy on your, you know, yeah. In uh, America, yeah. I mean, what's his incentive? It's to, tough. I yeah, I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. It, it's, if I'm Tony Khan, I tell him to kick rocks. No. Right. You know, I'm not – Kenta's not beating my world champion. Now, if Moxley loses the title at some point, if I'm Tony Khan, I don't care if Moxley does a job to somebody. But – I don't want him doing a job. No, not while he's champion. No, I'm not losing that title while he's champion. So, so yeah, it's, in it's, Japan, it's that's tough. different. If he goes to Japan, I don't care. I don't care if Moxley loses in Japan. But Moxley's not losing that title as my world champion in America if I'm Tony Khan. Not now. He doesn't. New Japan and all Japan. New Japan and, and AEW do not need each other. It would be advantageous for them to do business. But I don't think either need to do business with the other at this point. Even though I think both can help each other a lot if they could sit down at a table and figure something out. In fact, I would love to mediate it. Give me a call. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you, got, you got, you're got you in the pocket of both uh, TK and uh, you know Kadani. So, yeah, you are the perfect man to mediate this thing. I'm in everyone's pocket. I'm clearly neutral. And I know what both sides would benefit from. And I'm not going to play favorites. I would love to mediate that. Get me in that room. I'll make it work. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I, I, Who knows? We'll see. If Tanahashi wins, that's a clear indication that they want to do Tanahashi Moxley in the Dome, though. Uh, Kotobushi and Jay White, this is for the uh, right certificate for Tokyo Dome as well for heavyweight and IC title. We don't have many of these as well. This, I think, is probably going to be the only one because, I mean, fuck, it's, that's in November. <laughs> January's here. It's like nuts, you know, that we're, we got this. So... Uh, I guess the big question for a lot of people is, is this the time? Do you have Kotobushi lose the briefcase now? And we can do a bigger preview when we get a little closer to this event, so you have to you know, give me your final answer right now. But it is some, definitely something to think about. We kind of discussed it a little bit as well. And maybe we'll, have a, maybe we'll have a better idea or a more clear prediction as we get closer to the event. Right now, I'm kind of like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, possibly. But I, I would tend to say no because that's just so risky. And the guy that does lose that ends up looking like such a dork. To me, like, if you're going to have somebody do that, I like it being, like, a chicken shit heel guy. Like, I always said, like, last year, Jay White would have been the perfect guy to, like, win it, be a cocky asshole, and then get, meet his match. You know, hot, you know, Kotobushi or somebody beats him on the way there, and he's just like, God damn it. Like, but with Kotobushi, I, I, I think the optics of that, I don't love the optics of that with someone like a Kotobushi. So, hopefully that's not the case, but. We'll see. I, th- I you know, I, I wouldn't be stunned at either result, honestly. For all the talk we just gave for Kotobushi. Would it stun you if Jay White wins that case? I mean, they love Jay White. They do. So, I mean, I'm got, I think Abushi wins. I think it's too much of a kick in the balls to win another G1 and then not. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know what I mean? And Jay White is clearly has a different direction coming. So it's okay for him to lose again. That's the thing. If they're turning him, he could get beaten like a drum in his end days as a heel. Right? I mean, that's how those things kind of work. Because then he turns, you get the fresh coat of paint. You change your style a little bit, and fans are going to be excited about the turn and all that. So he can lose again. I just talked myself into Koto Bushi. So there you go. And the main event for the IWGP Heavyweight and IWGP Intercontinental Championships, Naito versus Evil. And I Who know it's going to suck. It's going to suck. It's going. I mean, Who I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to trick myself into saying, well, if they keep the bullshit to a minimum, or nah, well, it's, it's evil. Yeah, it's, it's not even a point. It's going to fucking suck, and I can't wait for it to be over. So yeah, none of them have been good. I just, I, no use for it. 
I can't believe they're doing it again. I hope it's just right. Destino and to put this geek in the back, in the rear view. You know, oh, I mean, God. like, let's go away. Like, go away. Yeah, in seven minutes and just, God, I would love that. Seven. God. Bell rings, Dick Togo runs in, Naito drop kicks him, drop kicks evil, throws him to the corner, Stardust press, picks him up, Destino, one, two, three. We're good. All right. Go home. Go away. Head to the mid card, you dork. All right. Yeah, can't take that guy anymore. I just can't take it. Stinks. All right, let's talk about these final two uh, shows we wanted to get into. Um, where do you want to start? You want to go Hell in a Cell or uh, Impact Wrestling? Bond for Glory. Let's do the Impact. Why let's not? Let's do the Impact. Let's have some fun. I'll bury Hell in a Cell till the end. Uh, Impact Wrestling, Bound for Glory uh, this Saturday. Uh, we have a preview up on the website right now at VoicesWrestling.com. The, the one and only Andrew Sinclair covering Impact. Like nobody else in the world covers Impact. Does a great job. Uh, we got a preview there. Up at the website, so read all that for some, you know, in additional written details. And that's the guy who's watching every minute of every second uh, of Impact Wrestling. So he will have, you know, I, I, I've been, you know, binging the last two weeks. You've been kind of, you know, in and out. You watch Victory Road, but you missed the last two weeks. Andrew's watching fucking everything. So he'll be uh, really detailed there uh, with uh, the, the preview. But we're going to do it as well here. Uh, call your shot gauntlet match. The winner can choose a championship match of any choice. You call your shot gauntlet match. Uh, there's also an added stipulation here. If Heath Slater or Rhino, or sorry, Heath, if just Heath uh, or Rhino wins, then Heath also wins a full-time contract with Impact Wrestling. If neither wins, then Rhino is fired. Hernandez wants her last, and Rhino wants her first. So there you go. Got all that? I got all that. So <laughs> Heath is going to win and get the contract. Since we know he really does have a contract, right? And they're just doing it <laughs> Yeah, I think contract. that's yeah the case. So, okay, so uh, I'll take over here since I don't know the builds. So I'll 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 take over with uh, setting you up. Okay. Yeah. Talk. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Okay. So um, we went over the gauntlet match. It's it's also it's intergender, right? So people should know that. Mm-hmm. So this is impact. So. They have this dopey mixed roster, and that's why it's really hard for me to invest. I just I can't buy into that shit. But um, so because they're building it around Heath and Rhino, you feel like it's going to come down to those two guys. I think so. Yeah. Even and and the, and the caveat there too is that Heath or Rhino wins. I, I kind of like the story of Rhino winning and winning it for his buddy Heath more so than Heath winning it himself. And that's they've kind of been building. Rhino. I mean, it seems <laughs> impossible to say in 2020, but they've been kind of building Rhino up on TV. Uh, he's been kind of a big deal the last few weeks as well. So I could absolutely see, you know, Heath gets out and it's like, oh, my God, you know, Rhino needs to win this to, 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 to you know, win that contract for Heath or whatever, win it for his buddy or whatever, and then he goes and wins. I could see either scenario because you, you could play it up where Heath is like, the, you know, he's one of the last few guys in there and it's like, oh, my God, he's got to win or else he's, you know, he's, he's he, you know, they're, they're neither going to have a contract and Rhino's going to be fired. Like you could do that or you could do Rhino gets the win either way that they do it I, I think no doubt like one of those guys is going to win this and, and Heath will of course get that full-time contract with impact so the bottom line is Tennille Dashwood's not winning the match I don't think Tennille Dashwood I don't think Alicia Edwards is is winning it I don't think cousin Cody or you know Cody Deaner is winning it yeah. I don't think Larry D is winning it so TBD is in this match too so you always got to be careful with TBD gotta but. be careful with TBD it's a real wild card. You never know. <laughs> but no, I, I would guess that either Heath or Rhino does, and whichever scenario you do, where you know one guy has to save the other guy type thing. Well, you so. lay all that out. It's going to come down to Heath, Rhino, and Hernandez, right? And then yeah, yeah. What do you think of, of putting Heath and Rhino together as a tag team? Is that you know copying the WWE eh, story? Yeah, I don't love it. It's I'm, I'm conflicted because they're good. That's the problem is they're really good at it. 
and they seem like genuinely happy while they do it and it's fun and it projects that these guys are buddies and that these guys are friends and i i don't hate the idea of acknowledging that other companies exist and yeah. that, hey, these guys were buddies at this other company. Now they're both here. So you don't have to say, oh, these guys never met each other. Oh, who are they? Like, I don't hate that, but I do. Yeah, it does come across a little low rent, but these the guys are still good is, at it. Yeah. The issue is this company has a long history of doing right, that. Right, right, right. That That's the problem. problem. Like, if AEW did it, I would say whatever. But, you know, or, 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 you know, other companies. But, yeah, so much of Impact's history is just doing what WWE did and doing it in a dollar store version that, that yeah, the optics of it aren't, aren't great, but, but I think they've been pretty good with it. And it's not like this tag team is the Road Warriors. I mean, let's be <laughs> right, honest. Yeah, that's true. You, know, you, <laughs> you think? You really? Okay. I mean, all right. know, it's not like people are going to be like, ah, you got to have Heath and Rhino together. You know, it's, <laughs> right, it's you know. <laughs> so you could have. You can't have these guys up. not be in the same universe and not acknowledge one another. <laughs> you know, the fans right, are, yeah, yeah. well, are going to revolt if these two men are not put together. So. Yeah. Who would buy that? You know, I mean, you know, please. Um, Eddie Edwards versus Ken Shamrock. Ken, Ken, Ken Shamrock's new pal, Sammy Callahan. Well, not new. Several month pal, Sammy Callahan. They made up after their big feud. and Well, they became an unlikely pairing. Yes. And uh, they're still an unlikely Opposites pairing. Opposites attract. <laughs> yes. They're a wacky sitcom pairing, Keith Sh- Ken Shamrock and Sammy Callahan. They they should, you know, the, the vignettes write themselves, right? They're rooming together. They wake up in the morning. Ken Shamrock is... Drinking raw eggs. Yeah, oh, I was Sammy gonna say Callahan. drinking eggs. Yes, <laughs> <That's exactly. laughs> Sammy Callahan is drinking whatever was left in his thirty-two ounce beer from the night before, right. all warm and flat. He's already right. got a lip in. He just woke up and he's already got a lip in. Got the lip in, no question about it. <laughs> right. Ken is just staring at him when he spits. Like this is the most disgusting thing he I've spits ever seen. On the floor, and Ken looks up at him. Yeah, yeah. Ken is hitting the weights. Ken looks like he keeps a clean house, right? Looks like he keeps a clean house. Yeah, absolutely. I would think so. He's hitting the weights. The camera pans over Sammy Callahan. Yeah, he's playing like Call of Duty, you know, while 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 Ken Shamrock's hitting the weights. You know, he's playing the video games. So you, the vignettes write themselves. They're the unlikely duo. But here we've got Eddie Edwards versus Ken Shamrock. Rich, tell me about this match. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. It's it's been it's been pretty weird. Yeah, I I don't the the pairing has been odd and the build's been pretty terrible, which kind of stinks. Eddie Edwards has been really fun. Uh, last few, you know, really years on, on Impact is kind of reformatting his character, redesigning what we know Eddie Edwards as, as he's kind of now just like a brawler, like a, you know, kind of a Tommy Dreamer-esque guy. But yeah, this has been a very weird build. I don't really, I don't really know what happened. And 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 I'm guessing Eddie Edwards gets the win here because Ken Shamrock and Sam McCallum were like beating him down, beating him down uh, on the go-home show. But uh, Andrew Sinclair does bring up an interesting point, a delightful point that you might get into. Ken Shamrock. Oh. Sam McAllen, there are two men. Two on one advantage on Eddie Edwards. Who is gonna help this man? Leisha Edwards just got taken out by Hernandez and the uh, you know, she's not gonna be able to help her husband. There's only one man for the job, Joe. Who's that? Davy Richards. My God, I'd pop through the roof. <laughs> he runs in, just fucking throws those drop kicks, goes nuts. Boom, boom, boom. Elbow, elbow, elbow. It's just, you know, I don't know. I'm joking. I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know. God, wrestling could use a, a Davy Richards <laughs> or a Kevin Von Erich about now. My God. But I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I think Eddie Wars is just going to beat him. And then there's going to be miscommunication with Ken Shamrock and Sam. The build stinks for this. This match is probably going to stink too. So we'll move on. EC3 versus Moose. What's going on here? Oh, there's a lot going on. Joe, are you ready for another cinematic match? Do you love 
eerie background music behind a match. I am not ready for another oh. cinematic match. Well, then I don't know if you're going to love EC3 versus Moose because uh, it is absolutely what you're going to get. Uh, the build has been very weird. Uh, EC3 is, and, and you probably saw a little bit of it from the, the Victory Road stuff, but he's kind of this weird, like, deranged, like, conspiracy theory guy. It's like he's like a YouTuber. He's yeah. he, he looks like shit, and he's, like, filmed in these, like, dimly lit rooms, and there's, like, eerie, ominous the entire time while he's talking and he's he's screaming and yelling and he's deranged and he's wild and he's nuts or whatever and that's kind of the story that they've had here is is you know moose is still carrying around the tna heavyweight title that he won a few months back or kind of gave to himself a few months back ec3 wants to seek to eradicate that title and eradicate tna and eradicate all the of his past and stuff and, and that's kind of the story there but uh they've they've done some brawls on like bridges and they've done some brawls you know in some weird locations and uh, apparently we are getting yeah indeed a, a a cinematic match for this so um yeah i credit ec3 for reinventing himself and kind of changing up what he was you keep trying to do the same thing but um you know where was he really going to get with that look the guy's just not a great wrestler and he looks good well now he looks like you know what he looks like kurgan now he does. Isn't it weird yeah, that he looks yeah. like Kurgan. Um, he looks like Kurgan fucked Dexter Loomis. Is what he looks like. But I credit him for reinventing himself. MJF does his act better than he ever did, so he had to change it up now. And the thing is, the guy, but he can't wrestle, and he's right, got those right. bad knees. Yeah, the promos have been pretty good. The problem is they're they're leaning too far on cinematic stuff. Like he's cutting promos and they're backstage, and there's like weird background music and weird camera cuts or whatever. And that stuff's just always going to lose me. And, and that's like I think because you know Moose is doing sit down interviews. He's being a cocky asshole. I mean, there's really not anybody that you're going to really want to root for in this match. Like, both guys kind of have their flaws, and, and both guys are not people that you're really going to be invested in. But, you know, Moose is kind of just sitting down, doing these interviews with Jimmy Jacobs, doing these backstage interviews. They're brawling. They're doing that sort of thing. But EC3 is doing these, like, weird, you know, he's off kilter. He's, it just, it, it's kind of strange, and it's, it's the promos aren't bad. Like, they're not bad on their face. It's just not what I really want out of, uh, you know, wrestling and, and what I want. But like you said, it's covering up the fact that dude can't really wrestle all that well. So I get it. I understand it. And I, I think, I think he's going to win, but I, I, I really have no read on, on how this match is going to go, to be honest. So, yeah. Six way scramble for the X division title. Rohit Raju is the champion. The other participants include Chris Bay, Jordan Grace, TJP, Trey Miguel, Willie Mack, uh, intergender now. For the X Division title, Rohit Raju hasn't he been doing some kind of uh, open challenges or something? Yes, yes, yeah, Last year? yeah, yeah. So, um, tell us about Raju. Yeah, so so he you know he, he wins the title. He beats uh, I, I think Chris Bay for the title. Yeah, he beat Chris Bay for the title. Yes, he did. And then he's said that he's not going to face, you know, Bay and TJP because he's scared of them. And, and that's obvious that he's kind of do- dodging those guys. And he's you know beaten Grace. He beat Mac. He beat Trey Miguel, and in, in, in all those, like it's it's Rohit Raju, so he's he's winning by you know nefarious means or or whatever. So this is an opportunity for a lot of people that he's kind of wronged. You know, he beat Chris Bay, he's dodging TJP, he beat Trey Miguel by cheating, he beat Willie Mack by cheating, he beat Jordan Grace by cheating, and now he's got to face all those people on the same night or whatever. So um, it's cool. Uh, like I'm into it. It's gonna be. I think it's gonna be a really really good match. I'm assuming it's probably gonna be the opener. 
Uh, it'll be a lot of action. There'll be a lot of really cool spots. And I think it's a great way, again, uh, for Raju to keep the title. Something's going to happen where you know these guys are going to fight with each other and Raju's going to find uh, some way to kind of slip through the back door or whatever. I think, I'm guessing, that that's what happens. Uh, but, you know, who knows? With, with, a, with a scramble like this, it's it's impossible to say. But the, Rohit Raju, I like. I think he's awesome. I think he nails the new gimmick uh, that he's been doing. I think he really nails the gimmick that he's been doing in general. He's kind of a good chicken shit. And he's a good enough wrestler to make it work uh, as well. So I've really liked him. He's been one of the standouts for me on Impact. Tag team is also a multi-person match. Three out of the first five matches here have a million people in them. Motor City Machine Guns are the champs. They come in, and then you got the Good Brothers, the North, and Ace Austin and Madman Fulton. I'd just like to see the Motor City Machine Guns face one of these teams. Maybe I know. that's just me. <laughs> I know why. I don't know why. There's no reason for it, too. You know what I mean? Like, it's just these guys have all been, like, you know, they're all into the division, so they're all working with each other. It's basically every tag team they have, but I I, I fail to see a reason why you can't just have the sh- Machine Guns versus the North again, or Machine Guns versus the Good Brothers, or like you said, anyone, literally any combination of the Machine Guns versus any of these teams on their own would have been fine. Now I'm just, you know, waiting for multi-man spots, people waiting on the outside, a bunch of random tags, a team winning by, you know, cheating because another team's distracted or whatever. It's just, yeah, it's, I'm I'm not going to be on board with multi-man stuff like this, especially multi-team stuff, just, just absolutely loses me. The newly signed Deanna Perrazzo against Kylie Ray. She's great. Deanna Perazzo has been great on Impact. How much have you seen of her as of late? I saw her um, at the Victory Road show. I've seen um, a number of her matches in Impact. She's really good. Yeah, She's it, it's you know yeah. you always talk about how like so often we like we're so quick to write people off or we're so quick to say yeah. ah you know they, they don't have it or ah they, and like yeah a lot of people day one they have it and you know they have it and they're good and they're great or whatever. Some people need a bit of a, a refinement. Some people need to you know get to a place, fail, and then kind of work their way back up. Diana Perez has been awesome on impact and it's like i don't know how old she is i forget how old she is but it's like dude she's still very young i'm assuming like i, I definitely i think she's under 30 but i could be wrong on that like people get better and, and 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 you know i think a lot of people it's not a surprise either that a lot of people get better once they leave WWE, where they have an opportunity to work in a company with a bunch of other people they have an opportunity to really kind of spread their wings and and and, and fail and and you know try out different things on matches and do different things on matches and not be so regimented and not just get your match you know given to you by an agent or whatever and and diana Prazo, you could see that like she's working a badass character she's breaking people's arms she's putting people in submissions it's been really cool i mean they've They've absolutely nailed it. They've absolutely nailed it with her. And God, I hope. God, I hope that they, they don't have her Kylie Ray beat her. And I, I'm guessing with pen to paper now, with Deanna Parazzo saying that she signed, there's no there's no reason now not to just build the entire division around her and, and really go uh, as far as you can with her. Because, yeah, she's been tremendous on impact. One of one of the bright spots of the entire company to me as of late. I've really, really liked her stuff. And and I'm never, I'm, I have never been impressed by her either. But, yeah, she, they, they got it. They nailed it with her. And she's looked really, really, really good. And, and, and they've kind of simplified her, her, her work as well. She's just out there, you know, doing simple stuff, but then hitting people with submissions and, and, and whatnot. And, and, and they've, they've nailed it. They, they got they, her moves over. She's over. I, I'm, yeah, I'm all in on Deanna Perazzo in, 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 in impact so far. Yeah, I think that um, in a lot of ways, she's everything that people said Tessa Blanchard was, but she really is. I've always thought Tessa was a little overrated. I mean, I I didn't see her as this – I've never saw Tessa as like this next level, a step above every other woman – you know, uh, wrestling in America. I I never I never felt that way about Tessa. Um, and and I feel like 
Perazzo right now has the, a level of credibility that they constantly tried to convince you that Blanchard had, if that makes any sense. Yes, right. Um, and Eric Young defends the world title against Rich Swan. This goes back months, all the way back to, I guess this feud goes all the way back to um, the match where Young returned, right? Didn't he? Well, you tell me. Have they, how have they built this? Match? Yeah, so it's, it's it's actually really cool. I, I think and and dude, like <laughs> it's the idea. And 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 you talked about this at Victory Road, and I think you've tweeted this out as well. People might see Eric Young in an Impact Wrestling main event and laugh and go, "Oh my god, Eric Young, really?" But you have to watch it, and that's that's like we always say, guys, when they go to different places, you're not you're not you know you're not this guy. You know, you, like you can be something in a one company. And something completely different in another company. And Eric Young is that absolutely. He goes to WWE. He's in whatever dumb fucking stables, and he's not doing anything. He's just jacking around. He's and 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 he's he was obviously he was nothing in that company. He was a disaster in that company. But he comes to Impact, and he's allowed it to cut his own promos and kind of feel like himself and 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 build off of what he did before, which is a decade plus in Impact. Lots of different runs. He was ODB's, you know, husband at one point. He was, you know, it broke free from Bobby Roode at that one point. He had a bunch of other stuff. Andrew Sinclair wrote a great article for the website this week talking about the many faces that Eric Young has, has, has played in Impact Wrestling and how he's done different things. And, and that's what they're doing is they're building off of that. They're building off that. They have Rich Swan, a guy who was an incumbent, a guy who was, you know, one of the, the stars of Impact when Eric Young returned. And now Eric Young is here, and he's saying, hey, you know what? I was I was a huge deal before you even were in this company. I, I, I'm a huge, you know, I was I was, I was a, a, a big-time guy. I was an underdog. I was in your spot. I was, I've done a many different things in this company, and now I'm here, and you're not taking this title from me, and you're not taking this moment from me because this, is every, this means everything to me. I, I am now the champion of Impact Wrestling, and I am not losing this title, and you're not going to take this from me. You know what I mean? It was it's to him this title is vindication for all the shit that he's gone through, all the bullshit that he's had to deal with. He's here now. He's the champion. He's the top dog, and he doesn't want to give it up. You would love it. You would love this. What they've done so far with this guy, and and you know, you know, Rich Swan, his 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 he got injured by Eric Young. Eric Young destroyed his ankle. They said it was like a you know a, a career potentially ending uh, injury for Swan. And Eric Young thinks that Rich Swan's out of his out of the picture. He's hurt. He can't come back or whatever. You know, Scott Demore says no. Swan is ready to go, and he's going to wrestle you at, at Bound for Glory, and that kind of sets the stage for this entire thing. And and it's it's simple. It, it I don't need to sit here and tell you for twenty five minutes what the match is. Eric Young's a champion. He doesn't want to lose the title. Rich Swan wants his title back. The end. <laughs> like you know, that's it. But it's been really good. Yeah, I think if if you watch the build, and I think you'll enjoy the match too. And and Eric Young has been tremendous, tremendous uh, in Impact Wrestling. And I think Gary Kidney, our, our, you know, Gary Kidney was a contributor to the website for many many years, uh, put it best that. Given how good Eric Young has been in Impact Wrestling, just imagine how many people are in WWE right now that could also be this good and better. Eric Young's fine. You know what I mean? I'm never, I've never been the biggest Eric Young guy. You watch these promos. You watch some of these matches. It's like, fuck, this guy's great. He's not that good. He's fine or whatever. I mean, you, you, I can't imagine how many guys are just sitting there wallowing away, doing nothing that could have the opportunity uh, to be as good as Eric Young's been over the last few weeks. But uh, I'm in on this match. I love it. It's a nice, simple story. Uh, I'm excited to watch it. I think Eric Young wins. Uh, I, I I think that you know Rich Swan because he the idea here and they've sold it that Rich Swan is rushing back from his ankle injury ahead of time to get this title match. So I think it was an easy out there that you know the ankle he's just going to succumb to the ankle and Eric Young will win the title. And I think that's the right move too because I think Eric Young's been tremendous and I wouldn't take the title away from him yet either. So it's good stuff. 
It, it, I mean, on its face, it's a pretty fun show, but like you said, there's a lot of multi-man stuff, and, and that's kind of, the, you'll, you'll see that if you watch Impact and catch up with Impact. It's like, half the show is really good, and half the show is really bad, and uh, I either love it or I hate it, and there's really no in-between when I watch Impact these days, so... All right, now I get to take you through Hell in a Cell. <laughs> yes, Joe, are you ready? World Wrestling Entertainment, it. Hell in a Cell 2020. Uh, as of this recording, we have four matches. That's all I can give you. So I don't know. I'm sure SmackDown, they will uh, announce many, many more matches or they'll do it on social media on Saturday. But we have, Joe, Jeff Hardy versus Elias, the returning Elias. How was his concert on Monday, by the way? Well, he did a legitimate, real, <laughs> honest-to-God concert with no jokes, no parody songs, no heel shenanigans. Rich, he just sat there and sang. <laughs> the fuck is going on? Was it great? No, they're weird, <laughs> generic songs. Where he's just like... Do they think he's good? Like, they, they think he's good, right? They think this is like real, right? Like, it wasn't like a heat segment. It's not like you know. It's not Jeff Jarrett for heat, right? Well, you tell me. I don't know. I'm asking there, you. Because <laughs> he goes out there and he sings two of his songs on his five song EP. Okay. That they're selling for real. <laughs> and they're real songs. They're like not songs where he's making fun of the local sports team. Or ripping on the baby faces. They're like real songs. They're really bad songs. You know, where he's like, he's just like talking about, I don't even know how to describe like what, what style is he? I, I I did not watch this concert. Is he uh, is he a, a country guy? Is he an indie oh, rock strums, guy? What is he? Folksy. He like strums his guitar and he says, hey, man, <laughs> I was once a sinner, but now I'm a saint. Like shit like that. Oh, like very generic. Sounds like, terrible. I was born a sinner. And I ain't never been a saint. Like shit, like like <laughs> awful, like generic shit that you you listen to at a bar and just want to leave. You're like, oh, I didn't know there was a band tonight. Cool, let's get out of here. Like, yeah, just gar- absolute garbage, you know. And then, amen. Send me back home to the river, like that kind of shit. It's just terrible. And so he sings two of these fucking awful songs. Right, and remember, he's a heel. I think. <laughs> And Jeff Hardy comes out and beats him up. Okay. And I think that means Jeff Hardy's the babyface. But isn't it backwards? Like, shouldn't – like, if they're selling these these songs like they're real, <laughs> like, shouldn't shouldn't it be the babyface that's getting attacked and the heel interrupting the concert? Right, because they, are – so they are legit selling these. This isn't like a Jeff Jarrett thing where they're saying he went gold and he didn't even – Those are a real record that you're supposed to go buy oh. on Monday. Yeah. Interesting. I was born a sinner. <laughs> I ain't never been no saint. Like that, yeah. You're supposed to go buy that. That's a real lyric, I think. It's a real lyric. And then uh, Jeff Hardy, who was upset because he – what was Jeff Hardy's band called? It had like a, uh, like weird characters that were like impronounceable, I think. Some say I'm a good man. I ain't <laughs> never been bad. But my mama says that I was never good. Like that – it's just terrible. Peroxygen was his name. Uh, of his band, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you, yeah, you ever, yeah, you ever listen hard. to Peroxygen? No. Oh, what's wrong with you? <laughs> but why? But why is Elias a heel? <laughs> He's getting attacked. Like, if the babyface is attacking the guy singing, 
then you're right. the only reason he would do that is if, if it's like Jillian Hall and it's supposed to be bad. And, right, right, I, right. His fingers are in his ears. He's like, I can't listen anymore. I have yeah. to attack him. Right. But no, like they want you to buy this. They want you to buy these songs, you know. <laughs> and I got to say, amen. <laughs> Before I meet my master, I say, amen. <laughs> it sounds fucking awful. <laughs> I'm guessing you guys doing like intentionally bad either. Like that. That's probably what it sounds like. Because it's not. It's not. Sounds, it's not like no. good, right? It's not even like remotely good. Like no, even if you like just, that style, like you can't objectively say it's good music. Listen, he just strums that acoustic guitar. Yeah, it's not even playing it. Like he just strums. Yeah, he goes, it. <laughs> I think I'll know. All he knows how to do. Yeah. It's no different than when he than before COVID when he would come out and he'd be like, "How you doing, Sacramento?" Yeah, right. <laughs> I'd go to a Kings game, but we all know that'd be real boring. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, like that's it's the same thing except now it's really bad. Like they're almost gospel lyrics. If yeah, I'm being honest. interesting. They're very like spirit. It's like just generic. Fucking slop. I've hurt many women <laughs> because I'm a sinner. I ain't meant to do no harm. Now I gotta meet my maker when my day comes. Yeah. So, yes, they're real songs. And as you can see, they're terrible. <sighs> did we get did we get a broken guitar at least? I don't know. Hard like, did attack. He, did, did he like throw the amp down? Like what? Do we, I, I, you know what? Like generic ass. Who cares? I know I ain't ever been good, <laughs> but my mama told me when I was young, boy, don't be a sinner. <laughs> You're making up lyrics now. No, you're not. Oh, you wrote these down. They're very close. Let me just put it. Yeah. In there. <laughs> they're, they're, <laughs> They're not facsimiles. You, you they're, think they're, I'm they're, just yeah. freak. Listen, they're not far off. That's really the gist of it. It really is. It's 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 that bad. And both songs were like identical. One, he just kept saying amen over and over. And the other one, he kept saying he's coming home to the Lord or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> Who cares? It's weird, Rich. It does sound uh, pretty strange. So, uh, all right. Can I please move on? <laughs> Who's going to win? Who's going to win in this uh, feud that you clearly know the heel in the face? Uh <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I don't know who's gonna win this. Well, that's our lone. How can I make a prediction for this? <laughs> this is our lone non-Hell in a Cell match on this uh, pay-per-view. So let's uh, we'll jump to the next uh, match here. I'm sure there'll be a shenanigan and somebody will cheat and something will happen. All right, um, Hell in a Cell match, WWE Championship, Drew McIntyre versus Randall Orton. Why? Why is this still happening? Was it? Wasn't the blow-off last month? Like it was clearly the blow-off. They were clearly yeah, he put done him with in this. an ambulance. That's he supposed put him to in an ambulance. It. All the people that Randy Orton wronged all came to Drew McIntyre's aid to all help him, and, and they they defeated Randy Orton. They threw him in an ambulance. They closed the door. He drove away. He was done. Over. Now we do it in the Hell in a Cell. <laughs> Fuck this company. Yeah, yeah. Even if you uh, try yeah, to make, even if you say, "Ah, oh, well, that's got to be it. That's clearly the end of this feud." I, I, I it's impossible to predict anymore. It's impossible to know what the hell they're doing here. So no, the best part of this build was all night long. The announcer saying that nobody who gets into Hell in a Cell comes out the same 
and it shortens every man's career, right? They said that all night long. And then Randy Orton comes out to cut his promo, and the first thing he says is, I've been in this business for 20-plus years. And I've been in the best. Seven, I, I bet it was one of the best that. promos of Randy Orton's entire life, right? Because he's he's oh, on yeah, Joe. He's... Believe it or not, I think Randy Orton's on one of the best runs of his entire career right now. Oh, so. absolutely! T- doing the same promos he's done his whole career. <laughs> and I've been in, I've been in seven of these Hell in a Cell matches. And then you're just thinking to yourself, I thought this thing shortens careers. This guy says he's been in seven of them, and he's been wrestling for over 20 years. So it totally contradicts the story they're supposed to tell. This devious structure which ends careers. Meanwhile, this guy's been in seven of these fucking things, and and he's fresh as a daisy, <laughs> right? He just got beaten up and stuffed in an ambulance on top of that, and he's out here, and they keep saying, oh, he's – the main event of Raw was Randy Orton in, in, in inside Hell's Gate, the Elimination Chamber, cutting a promo, right? And he basically undercuts everything and you and, and tells you how not dangerous it is. This is his eighth one. Is this uh, this is the match too where Drew McIntyre got bolt cutters and entered down the cell, right? It wasn't a match, Rich. Okay. It was a promo, pro main event promo. So then Drew comes out, and Randy's like, "Why don't you come into Hell's Gate right now?" And Drew's like, "I'll do that, Randy. I, I'll do it, Randy." And he reaches over the fucking. Guardrail and he's got hedge clip. He's got yeah, the fuck. destroys the gimmick within ten seconds. <laughs> so Randy Orton looks, like, yeah, looks all concerned, and he cuts the fucking bolt. I'm coming into hell, Randy. Right? And he comes in, and then they honestly, the you're making the, you're making all this up. I'm not, no, like now that you're doing the voices, I'm convinced that you're just making this up. And I'm right. I'm gonna believe you. Take me on a ride, whatever. Yeah, go with it. That's fine. Well, there's no more ride to go on because. He cuts the fucking gate open and gets in, and then the show goes off before they touch each other. <laughs> because if you want to see these two men in Hell in a Cell shorten each other's careers, you got to order the WWE Network this Sunday, Rich. Tremendous. Go home. This is the Elias EP. It's four songs. Okay. Called Universal Truth. <laughs> First song is Amen, I'm Going In. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Lead Me Home. So was I lying to you? No. I lying to you. No, you said, yeah, you said both of those. Street Light. Oh, I know that song. I know that song sucks. <laughs> I, I haven't heard it, but I know it fucking stinks. I can, I, listen, I've never heard it, but I could sing it for you. Are you ready? <laughs> right, go ahead, yeah. <laughs> I ain't never been no saint, but I'm going towards the street light. The street light will guide the way. And help me not be a sinner. That's what it's gonna be. That's <laughs> yeah, gonna be so bad. That's what I was trying to think. Yeah, I was trying to think of something where he's lonely and the streetlight is the only thing, you know, keeping him up or so. You know, it's some some shitty, fucking folksy garbage like that. So I ain't nothing but a streetlight shining my sinful light. That's pretty good. That's not bad. That's you should learn how to mildly play the guitar. You could you could have a career. I'm trying to find lyrics for uh <laughs> We'll for just have to download you know what we'll, we'll have to do is download this thing and, and and do a review on the podcast maybe next week if we if we can find it. So it drops next week apparently. So we'll, we'll, we'll maybe we'll be able to do a live listen. We can, we can listen. We can probably have a way where we can listen to it and, and, and discuss it. Yeah, yeah. I mean uh 
maybe I could sing it for everybody. People seem to like when shows just break into song and dance. So <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it's good. It's a variety show, Joe. It's good. My uh, my uh, my wife is uh, she's asleep, but uh, I'm gonna say that she walked into the room and she really liked when you were singing the Elias stuff. So yeah. So she is now gonna while I record this, sit next to me the entire three hours while I record this and hear you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I've I found the lyrics to Elias words, his song called Words. Oh, okay. Is that is that from Universal Truth? No. Oh, it's from Walk with Elias, the previous. This is. EP? Um... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't know, but it is one... right. That's the name of it, right? Maybe. I think it is. It's called I... Walk with Elias. Yeah. He's a real lyricist. This guy. He's Are you ready to walk <laughs> with Elias? The regular Bob Dylan with the lyrics here. I'll tell you. Yeah. What do you got? Yeah, read him. Sing them, sing them, yeah, yeah. I've met a million people in my life, and they've all had something to say. <laughs> but if I listen to everyone's problems, well, I never get through my day. <laughs> Everyone thinks they're so special. I'm here to tell you they're not. Cassius Ono, when I get you in that ring. I made that part of it. <laughs> I was going to say, hold on a minute. What? <laughs> That's really <laughs> The only uh, words that matter in life are the ones Elias got. I like this guy better when he was the drifter. Yeah, yeah. This this stuff stinks. God, it sucks. I fucking told you. I told you when he was the drifter, he was going to fucking suck. And you, you were like, oh, no, it's great. It was I, cool. I, I enjoyed the drifter. Yeah, it wasn't cool. I don't enjoy Elias. You know, it's like I didn't enjoy Friar Ferguson, but I enjoyed Bastion Booger. It's kind of the same <laughs> right. thing. Right. It's exactly the you same know? thing. It's ex- that's, that's kind of what we're talking about. <laughs> so that's the Randy Orton and. Uh, yeah. So so uh, Drew in, in accepted the invitation to hell, and now they're going to go to hell at WWE Hell in the Cell 2020. Yes, a career is live. clearly going to be shortened. A career will be ended. A career will be shortened as they have just a generic match surrounded by a red cell. Um, so You don't exit Hell in the Cell the same <laughs> as you enter, despite the fact that Randy Orton has been exactly the same person for the last 20 years with zero changes in his character or gimmick. But you do not enter that that chamber and the demonic the demonic structure hell's you know satan's playground you don't enter yes satan's play demonic structure that's right right. (laughs) he's two away from uh, matching triple h with nine appearances in a hell in a cell Uh, right another man whose career was shortened he only wrestled like i think he only wrestled 26 years so yeah yeah, right and 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 the other guy the man with 14 hell in a cells uh the undertaker who also stopped wrestling. wrestling a decade and a half ago i'm sure so yeah all right, uh, we have WWE SmackDown Women's Championship Hell in a Cell, Bailey versus Banks. A little soon for this, isn't it? A little soon, yeah. Well, they had a match but on fucking a... SmackDown, so. <laughs> but when you have a when you have a show called Hell in a Cell, you kind of have to put people in the Hell in a Cell. It's kind of the box you you book yes. yourself into. So, um, you think you would do this at WrestleMania, maybe? Yeah, and put. In the demons playground or mm-hmm. whatever the fuck, <laughs> Beazlebub's chamber, whatever this thing is called, um, you know. But you do it a month after they break up because you have it's that time of year. Because WWE Hell in a Cell is here, yeah. So you have to, yeah, yeah. This I cannot believe they're still doing the gimmick pay per views. I, I really, I honestly yeah. cannot believe they're still doing it. But they are. Um, so yeah, now these people have to have uh, uh, what should be the blow off to their gigantic, you know, year long feud, and it's just like you know going to be a, a step in the process when october comes 
It's time for the devil's favorite orgy. It's time for Beazzlebub's wild party. This will be it's Sasha Banks' third appearance in a Hell in a Cell. Man. Hell in a Cell. Even <laughs> Sasha Banks has been in three of these fucking things. <laughs> right. She's like 22 years old. How old is she? Like 28? No, she's, she's definitely older than 22. I think she's, yeah, 28, I want to say. Oh, she's Even she's she's been in three of these things. She's been in the main <laughs> roster for like six years. And she's been in three Hell in a Cells already. What feuds has she had that necessitated? Uh, they had that, she had that one with Charlotte. I remember that was a Hell in a Cell. And then, uh, dude, I can't remember the other one. I have Shouldn't no idea. Shouldn't we be able to remember? Shouldn't we be able to remember? We probably should, yeah. What was the other one? No, but I don't think it's our fault. Like, it's their fault that we can't yeah, remember. Oh, her. Becky. Last year against Becky Lynch. Did you remember that? I don't know. Who cares? Yeah. Um, the point is none of these should have been in a hell, I don't, hell in a cell, no. I think. like You should have like one hell in a cell total every four years is what they should do. And then maybe it would draw some money. Right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it used to be really cool. I mean, it used to you actually look at the, the buys in, in, in history and like the hell in a cell gimmick would – I mean, you would generate buys like that thing got people excited, got people into it. Those pay-per-views spiked in numbers like people were all in on Hell in a Cell. Now it's like, dude, there, there's two happen a year, sometimes three. You know, we're going to three on this one night. We have three are going to happen on this one night. Usually it's two. You know, yeah, I went from one every couple of years to one every year to two every year. And now we're literally doing three this year as well. So it's like, who cares? Like, who would possibly hey. possibly care anymore? Hey, listen. They might have, you know, we could get Otis versus John Morrison in the hell. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, the whole night. We could do the fucking, what was the uh, caged heat or whatever? What the fuck was the uh, impact pay-per-view where they were always? Lockdown. Lockdown. Yeah, every every match was in a cage. Caged heat? I don't know what caged heat is. That's like a porn title or something. It it sounds like a porn title. It probably is. I'm positive. You know what caged heat would be? It would be like some third-tier MMA group's fucking DVD. (laughs) Right, right. You know, you you go into a... You go into Best Buy in the wrestling section, and they mix the, the MMA in, and it's like, it's like uh, World Cage Fighting Extreme presents Caged Heat, right? <laughs> right yeah, with terrible graphics and eight huge fights, you know, featuring, and then there's like one guy who fought in UFC twice, like you know, and that's the selling point on the uh, on the DVD cover. Well, it turns out uh, Caged Heat, also known as Renegade Girls, is a 1974 women in prison film. I saw that. Little exploitation film, yeah. Yeah. It's also a low level MMA event with Jeff Munson in the main event. <laughs> I don't know who that is, but I'll trust you. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, that's what that is. I guarantee Jeff Munson has wrestled on an MMA event called Cage Heat. This, this um, Cage Heat poster, it says Women's Prison USA, Rape, Riot, and Revenge. White Hot Desires, Melting Cold Prison Steel. <laughs> yeah, no, that's like an underground. Um, that's a famous movie. Like it's a famous, uh, yeah, like a cult classic kind of thing. There yeah. you go. All right, final match. We're we're out of time here, so we'll get through this one quick. Way over time. Yeah, Universal Championship match. Hell in a Cell. I quit match because they can't. They don't even want a Hell in a Cell, but it's October, so they're gonna book a Hell in a Cell. I quit match. So it's a Hell in a Cell, not pinfall submission. You have to say I quit. Roman Reigns, Jey Uso. Yeah, I'm just wondering if they're going to break into a high school fucking play in this one like they did in the last match where 
the most overrated thing of all time. Did you watch that? Yeah, where it's just like, come on, get up, let's go. <laughs> like it's you just were, yeah. You were skipping around the mountains. I don't know if you watched it, but he just starts cutting. Like the camera zooms in, People and love we have that to shit, listen though, to Joe. Roman People Reigns fucking fap their minds. They love when guys talk in the ring, and they oh, it's so good, it's masterful. <laughs> you know, God, it was so bad. Um, it takes you right out of it, you know. Um, so I don't know. We're we gonna do that again. How do you how do you top that? How do you top it, Rich? When you had that? Well, that classic. was in Devil's the Devil's Playground. It's in the demonic structure of Hell in a Cell, and it's an I Quit match. So, is he gonna make him call him the Tribe Leader again? Maybe. Probably. Or the Tribe King? What do you make him call him? <laughs> I don't know. I don't care. Jeff Munson fought on a card called Dome of Destruction Three. <laughs> Dome of Destruction. <laughs> so that definitely didn't uh, happen in a dome, right? That happened in like just a fucking armory, right? For sure. I'm sure, it was a fucking cage with a, with a <laughs> dome on top. Um, what's he wrestled. His, on what's his bro's cage. name? Jeff White. Jeff Munson. He wrestled on Cage Warriors Nine Extreme Christmas, but Ooh. it's spelled but it's spelled Extreme oh, Xmas. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, he wrestled on IHC Seven, The Crucible. Um, he wrestled on Mass Destruction 12 held in Massachusetts. Get it? Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, what are we looking for? Caged Heat? Um, man, a lot of close ones, but no Caged Heat. Yeah, there's Austin. definitely an indie that's run a Caged Heat. Oh, I found MMA Danger Zone 13 Caged Heat. There you go. From 20, uh, 20, uh, 2002. Chael that Sonnen wrestled in two matches, and Dan Severn wrestled in another one. So See? There you go. Caged Heat. Why did Joe Sonnen wrestle twice in one night? It's 2002. There were no rules. I guess not. Like, no, he was... beat one guy in submission and then came back and beat another guy in unanimous decision. Nah, there's no commissions. None of that shit. It's just back just... to back. He just, yeah. just stay in the ring and the next guy comes out. It's like a fucking gauntlet match. Get out of here. Get out of here. Fucking warp <laughs> yeah, your well, ass. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> That's how it was. He's on 13 cage sheet and then Dan Severin uh, uh, won via submission. Parentheses punches in the uh, the final match of the night. So, who he beat? Uh, Steve Sagey. Sagey. I don't know how to pronounce it. Some guy who took eight hundred bucks to take him. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, it took five minutes for Dan Severn, who was probably NWA champ at that time. <laughs> I think he was still NWA champ. <laughs> it is eight hundred day reign or is eight thousand day reign as as NWA champion. So, all right, we're way over time. Anyway, <laughs> voiceswrestling.com. Uh, Patreon.com slash voice wrestling, mybookie.ag, promo code VOW, double your first deposit, deposit match, dollar for dollar, up to $1,000. Only if you use the promo code VOW, though. Patreon.com slash voice wrestling, voice wrestling.com. That's Joe Lanza. I'm Rich Creech. We'll talk to you guys next time. Take care. Bye. <laughs>